Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. You're about to embark on yet another great adventure with the Gary and Shannon Show. A reminder, we want you to make sure that you look at the iHeart app and hit the follow button on the Gary and Shannon Show podcast so that you can get updates on what's going on with our podcast. Don't forget to share it as well. Get it? It's adventure music. Also, share it on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you have that opportunity, and tell a friend about what you're listening to when you listen to The Gary and Shannon Show. What is it between the 10 and 2 time frame? A massive shock shaking most of Southern California like an angry parent shakes a screaming child. Gary Hoffman. Hi, Gary. Gary. My man. Shannon Barron. I like that she's a fighter and that she doesn't give up. News commentators broadcast stories gathered from all corners of the world, often analyzing important events and expressing their own opinions regarding Gary and Shannon. I cannot in good conscience suggest you for any kind of broadcast employment. When do you consider jet lag gone? Like, I'm over it, I'm back, I am firing on all cylinders. I think when the normal appetite returns, like I want to oh, eat at the a, right times of the day. That's a thing? That's I a didn't... thing. And uh, and also the sleep schedule. Are you but, hungry right now? Uh, No. Okay. I'm okay. We have m and I'm not a gremlin. If you if I'm hungry and I don't eat, I'll be okay. I'm just check it. <laughs> Um, okay, so this is one of those days where we have a bunch of stuff that we're going to have to get to. Justin Warsham is coming in next hour. He is the host of the Dad Podcast, and we're going to talk about kids and screen time. And this is not an issue that we ever had to deal with as kids. We never had to worry about screen time. Even with the uh, the up-and-coming video game revolution that we were a part of, it, it never seems to have been as problematic as it is today you know who i feel bad for are the kids from uh 10 years ago that uh, your kids now know don't do stupid crap online because it'll stay there it'll come back to bite you i think that's kind of a universally understood uh, maybe ignored but understood thing uh but the kids like when, when this was first happening social media and all that you know taking pictures and Sending them to, you know, that yeah. whole bit when you, when you didn't realize how that stuff stays with you. It's just a, it's an but amazing I, I, issue. It's... Gosh, I'm so glad that we did not have to deal with that growing up. <laughs> um, we also in Swamp Watch are going to get into the story about whether or not the president is going to bail on this meeting with Kim Jong Un. Now, all he has said in in the in the style of a great negotiator is, listen, if it's not good for us, we won't go. And if in the middle of it, we decide it's not good for us, we'll leave. I think that's. Totally acceptable and fine. It's just un, unusual, perhaps, uh, that somebody would say that about that. So we'll we'll talk about that in Swamp Watch. Mark Saltzman's going to join us, our tech guy, and talk tech. We also have some strange science stuff. But we're going to start with the latest on that Southwest Airlines flight from New York to Dallas that had to make a stop in Philadelphia after one of the engines blew apart. And uh, hit a window. The window blew out and sucked a woman out halfway out the plane. There was a recommendation by the engine manufacturer to require ultrasonic inspections of certain fan blades within 12 months. This was last year. Southwest asked for more time. 
um, said that it was going to need more time to do all of these inspections. It now says it will do all of these inspections that the FAA has suggested it do within the next two weeks. This is all about metal decay. And there is a certain, a, num- a certain number of 737, 700 planes that are susceptible to this metal decay when it's used as much as Southwest Jets use their engines. Yeah, so so CFM International is the company that makes the specific engine. It's the CFM 56-7B. And the FAA came out with their directive last night that said that within the next two weeks, they want to have ultrasonic inspections of these fan blades on these engines after they reach a certain number of takeoffs and landings. Then, and that any blade that would fail that ultrasonic inspection would have to be replaced. This airplane and these engines were inspected on Sunday before the accident, but it was basically an oil change and a visual inspection, which you can't see. You can't see the cracks in the blades. You have to do those ultrasound, I guess you could say, ultrasonic inspections to to detect those. Um, Southwest says within the next month these will be completed. I don't know how that makes you feel. We're both traveling on Southwest within the next month. Um, United Airlines said they have begun inspecting some of their planes. American has about 300 planes with that type of engine. Delta about 185. And it's really a freak accident what happened. It is. For a usually, couple of reasons. Usually the engines, if this is going to happen, the engines contain the parts that break off. That's part of the reason why they're built the way they're built with that big, strong, I think they call it nacelle. I'm not even sure how you say it, but basically the big cowling that goes around the front of it and uh, the sides of the engine. It, it, the contained is an important word because if a fan blade bl- breaks apart and just chews up the inside of that engine, the way it's supposed to work is everything gets shot out the back and it's not going to hit the tail. It's not going to hit any other part of the airplane, the fuselage or parts of the wing. It's just going to get shot out into space, if that makes sense. And then the engine shuts off. And like we've seen multiple times before, these planes can fly perfectly well with just one engine, as uh, as Tammy Joe Stubbs, the pilot in this case, made clear. There is even a window absent from the area of the plane right next to the edge of that engine just to protect, uh, protect this from not happening, just to uh, prevent this. You know, there's one seat back there that you don't have the window, and that's the one that would be most likely if if part of the engine or shrapnel was to fly off, that way that person is safe and the plane is safe. And this one was weird because it was actually slightly behind that place. Right. You know, two or three windows behind where you would expect debris to hit the um, uh, hit the fuselage. I was looking into, you know, what actually happens when a, a window does come out of an airplane. And there was a um, an aeronautical engineer who talked to the Sydney Morning Herald, the newspaper. And he talked about the way, I mean, basically the pressurized cabin that you're in, much higher pressure than is outside at that moment when you're traveling five, 600 miles an hour. And that if something punches a hole in that pressured vessel in that window... It's going to blow out or it can blow out like it did. It had a massive failure in this case. And the air inside all tries to escape. So for anybody close to the window, in this case, the woman who eventually died, there's going to be an incredibly strong wind that heads out. And he said there's a number of other things that go on, not just that. 
obviously the pressure will drop. Your ears will just pop, for one thing. Everybody knows that feeling. The temperature drops all of a sudden. And he said quite likely, not only is it really noisy in the cabin, it gets foggy in the cabin. Wow. So imagine, all again, all of this stuff going on, visually, auditorily, you hear all, and it's you can't see. A lot of people get popping of the ears. The oxygen masks all drop, and all of that happening within seconds of this going on. Again, put the oxygen mask over nose and mouth. And mouth and, and mouth. nose. Nose and mouth. And mouth and nose. Uh, well, a lot of talk yesterday about Captain Tammy Jo Schultz and First Officer Darren Ellisor, they put out a joint written statement released by Southwest saying, as captain and first officer of the crew of five who worked to serve our customers aboard Flight 1380 yesterday, we all feel we were simply doing our jobs. Our hearts are heavy. They said they're working with investigators, would not be talking to the media. Class, uh, you have to share what you shared with me earlier about the article in the Sydney Herald. Uh, So (laughs) along those same lines about what happens when the window comes out, There have been cases where this has happened before. I think everybody remembers the Aloha Airlines, which was more than just a window. It was an entire section of the fuselage that came up, and the flight attendant got sucked out. There was one uh, British Airways plane where the windscreen, one of the windscreens came out. One of the the pilot actually got halfway sucked out of the airplane. And then they used James Bond's nemesis Goldfinger, died in 1964, when a window got blown out of a private jet and that James Bond almost got sucked out, but he grabbed onto the part of the cabin interior where he was able to pull himself back in. Like the fact that they included a James Bond scene when they're talking about real life people being yeah. sucked out of airplanes. Ruined the rest of the article. It was terrible. Your terrible. chance to win $1,000 coming up brought to you by Cunning Dental. He got nasty gums. Call Cunning Dental for a free exam. Triple eight six forty smile An update on that Fresno State professor. Uh, She has bowed out of at least one big public event she had coming up. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon, with your chance at $1,000 right now. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword bank to 200, 200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's bank to 200, 200. And remember, answer the phone even if it's from a number you won't recognize. You will not recognize it, but you got to get it because if you don't pick up, they move on. Your next chance to win next hour. You got a chance to win $1,000 once an hour. 5 a.m., 7 p.m., Monday through Friday, right here on KFI. A little bit later this hour, we're going to talk about how a majority of Americans utter their curse words before 10.30 in the morning. So we've got a, we've got some time. Sometimes first thing in the morning. <laughs> when the as alarm goes off. As soon as that alarm goes <laughs> That's off. That's right. Well, yesterday we told you about this Fresno State professor. And within an hour of the official announcement that Barbara Bush died She took to social media to call the former first lady an amazing racist who raised a war criminal. And then went further, spent five hours yapping on Twitter about defending her stance, doubling down, tripling down. Called her a witch. And said, and said, you know, go ahead and tell the president of my university, because some people were saying, you're going to get fired. And she's like, I'm tenured. Go ahead and tell the president of the university. In fact, here's his handle, you know. Well, 
That president of the university, Joseph Castro, says all options are on the table right now in dealing with this woman. He said, and I quote, a professor with tenure does not have blanket protection to say and do what they wish. We are all held accountable for our actions. Yeah, I don't know how she feels like this is a First Amendment issue. She has the right to do this. And even if even if she doesn't get fired by Fresno State for what it is that she's done, there will be a social backlash that she has to endure. That's but she doesn't get to hold up this the the Constitution and say I, I'm free from social backlash. It's my well, freedom, my right to do this. Technically, it is the government that employs her with the public university system, and I'm surprised we haven't heard from the ACLU in her corner yet. Oh, it's just a matter of time. And uh, that's going to make you want to vomit. Her ex-husband says that he was absolutely disgusted by her tweets, and he wasn't surprised in one bit about what she is and what she wrote. He, uh, Ori Cipollaro says his ex-wife and his son have now received death threats, and he wants those to stop. Obviously, that's ridiculous and, and an absolutely animalistic way to respond to this, but... He says he's definitely upset at Rhonda Girard for her comment, uh, for her controversial tweets, but that he's not shocked. He says, I don't condone it. It's terrible. It's disgusting. But I'm not surprised. Now, about her, she grew up in a strict Muslim household. I think her mother was Egyptian and her father was Palestinian, if I remember correctly. And she was born in Chicago. But she doesn't mention that in her social media bio, uh, biography. She says that she grew up in Kuwait and Egypt before she came back to the United States after the Gulf War. And even her ex-husband says, listen, I'm not quite sure where her anger comes from because everything she has, all of the richness that she has, her ability to be a college professor is afforded to her by the freedoms in this country. So why she's so upset, upset or why she hates Barbara Bush Makes zero sense. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, when you think about companies now not wanting people to speak about their opinions, usually when the opinion is not PC or it's going to be controversial, you know, you can go back to Colin Kaepernick and kneeling and the NFL and the owners of the NFL having different stances when it comes to the policy of their organization, what they will allow, what they won't. Um, Houston comes to mind with uh, the the head of the football club there saying all my players will stand. This is my business and they're my employees and this is what I want. If you are a small business owner, uh, you probably don't want your employees to be yapping online about things that are highly offensive right, to some people. Well, where is our voice as taxpayers when it comes to the people that we employ to teach our children? They get to stand behind the shield of government and say, First Amendment, First Amendment, the government can't fire me because, well, we employ you, though. The people employ these professors. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's. It's clear that she's got some issues. It's I mean, and it goes beyond just a hatred or having. It a, a goes different... beyond her public blogs about how she likes to chain men up and step on their genitals. I don't want that person teaching in the in the state of California either on, on the public dime. You're just closed minded, aren't you? Um, yes. The the husband says the now ex husband, of course, said that their marriage only lasted a couple of years, even though it did Shocker. produce a child. He said that she wrote negatively about him in a book called A Map of Home. 
He says, she's written things about myself and my family that have complete fabrications and lies that I had to swallow in the past and let go because I wanted to have a relationship with my son. He said, um, uh, well, the uh, one of the TV stations in Fresno went to her house and to get her side of the story. She may be out of the country, who knows, but she is not answering questions. We know that. He says of her, that she used to always refer to herself as the smartest person in the room. How many times, whether or not we know people who would actually say that about themselves. We all do. But how many people do we know believe that about themselves and it just oozes out of every pore? I do. Exactly. <laughs> so it's so frustrating that, that this person, this woman... She may be a brilliant writer. I have not seen evidence of it, and we went down deep down that hole yesterday in terms of her writing. She may be a brilliant writer. She may be even a brilliant college professor in the English department at Fresno State. But it's ridiculous to me to think that anybody who reads this stuff would then allow her to funnel information or or, or uh, to exercise my thought in a college classroom. One of the marks of true intelligence, in my opinion, is people who know that they don't know everything. When I hear someone say they believe they're the smartest people in the room, they are completely ignorant to all the things that they are not smart about. Yeah. And the smartest also... people, in my opinion, know that they're not the smartest people in the room. They immediately downplay everyone else who's in the room with them. Yeah. Without knowing them. All right. Coming back. Maybe some good news. Americans are filling far fewer opioid prescriptions. That may be a good thing. Or is it? Are they going to the street for their drugs? Gary and Shannon will continue. Some things that will not die in your mind, you know, things that you can't unsee or unread. Unimagine. And one of those things was that stupid-ass professor's blogs about what she would do to men. No, she Good did Lord. it to her brothers, remember? And cousins and neighbors. Yeah, she would, she would have them lie on their back, kick their feet up, and she'd hold them like the handlebars of a motorcycle. But then also use her foot on their groin as like a gas pedal mechanism. She called it a motorcycle. Yeah. Because she liked to put her foot on their genitals. Yeah, she said she didn't know that it was testicles. I mean, she knew that it, but she didn't know the importance of it because she was young enough that, come on, if you get your wires crossed that early, yeah, you're going to put, you're going to pour tea on another person's back and claim (laughs) it. And claim that men love to be used as furniture in your living room. That is a whole box of crazy. All right. Um, at the top of the hour, Justin Warsham is going to join us. We're going to talk about kids and screen time. Uh, and the difference maybe between what teachers think and parents think about their screen time. My daughter told me yesterday that they, they have Google uh, the Chromebooks that they use at school. I didn't know this. I didn't know that was a thing. I mean, we've had computers in schools forever, but when we were in school, it was like there were two Apple II Cs, and they were in the library. Yeah. And every class would have about 30 minutes, and you'd rotate through to do whatever you did, sure. play the game or whatever. Sure. Was well, it Oregon Trail? 
Oregon Trail. And yeah. Word Munchers. Those were the two oh, games I remember. Word Munchers. Gosh, word Munchers. I completely yes. forgot about. I loved Word Munchers. <laughs> Me too. Uh, all right. So there's a new story um, about, oh, we'll have to get into this story as well about Prince. I think we're going to do this in trending. Uh, all I saw was no criminal charges. No, yeah, no criminal charges in in Prince's death, despite the fact that some he was able to get his were... hands on uh, enough drugs and fentanyl to kill a small army. Yeah, uh, of elephants, even. You know, it just you just wonder how long he was doing those drugs because remember he was a tiny little baby oh, person. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what seven, eighty pounds? Well, he's more so than for, that. For, for his body to be able to absorb that much, he had to have built up quite the tolerance. Uh, Minnesota authorities said they couldn't determine how, in fact, he got the drug that eventually killed him. So even though there oh, were some, some hinky prescriptions going basically. on. basically. Um, well, the number of prescriptions for opioid painkillers filled in the United States fell dramatically last year. Part of this is public awareness of the danger of addiction because – a doctor now, I, I know people who have had these conversations with doctors, I do not want an opioid painkiller. Give me something else. Uh, for some people, it's pot, but give me something other than an opioid because I don't even want to run the risk of being addicted to them because I know that it's a horrific way. I it's a horrific not, way to go. I will hopefully never have to touch that. I don't know if I've ever had them, and I know this is lame, but I don't remember. I, I was prescribed painkillers. Um, about 20 years ago after I had wisdom, wisdom teeth. teeth. Yeah, that's the only thing I can think of. I think it was um, Percocet or uh, I don't remember what it was. I remember feeling really spacey, Yeah, you know, but it was, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think I would have ever thought it was a thing. Like you can that continue I would get that. Addicted yeah, to? Yeah, yeah. I didn't like the feeling. I got Vicodin yeah. and my dad would not let me take it. Because he was afraid. You know, so I was just popping ibuprofen and it wasn't doing anything. The last time my dad was in the hospital, I remember the nurses saying or the doctors saying at one point, you know, is he OK to get this uh, a kind of medication or whatever? You know, I guess that they're asking you that if you can have narcotics or whatever. And my, both my parents are like, no, we don't want that. Like, just I don't if we can do it another way, yeah. let's do it another way. Yeah, because I can't imagine that it would be something that you would – I mean, there were jokes, I want to say, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Hey, if you're not going to get the – you know, if you're not going to finish that Percocet, let me have a couple of shots of that thing. Right. But it, I don't hear people joking about that anymore. No. Nobody, nobody's making funny about uh, – making fun of OxyContin anymore. I'll tell the jo- – I'm not the joke. I'll tell the story again because I think it's important. One of my girlfriends uh, had to go to the hospital for something minor. And uh, upon checkout, I guess you could say, in the ER, the doctor prescribed her, I think it was 60 oxycodones. Oxycodones? Mm-hmm. Okay. And she took one that night. And she does not have an addictive personality whatsoever. Um, has no pro- – I don't even think she's done dr- – except for pot, no drugs or anything, right? She took one of those pills that night and pain went away. She felt great. And the next day, no pain. Uh, the next day after that, no pain. But she kept thinking about that bottle of pills that was still in her her bathroom. And she kept thinking, oh, remember how good that felt? Remember how good that felt? And it was a struggle for her so much because her mind would not get off these pills 
that she had to get rid of him right away. I got to get this out of my house. And it's not. And it just, was one pill. Yeah, it's, but it changed something in her. I mean, it's, it's it, like it they say it, something up in. That's her. the thing they say about heroin, which is why I never wanted to do heroin. Is one time and you're hooked. It feels like the same thing for these pills. The health data firm IQVIA. I don't know what that stands for. Released a report today that shows an 8.9 percent average drop nationwide in the number of prescriptions for opioids filled by retail and mail order pharmacies. In fact, all 50 states and D.C. all had declines of more than 5 percent. And in some of these states, declines topped 10 percent, including all of New England. And they're saying, listen, areas like West Virginia, Pennsylvania, parts of the Northeast, which have been ground zero for our opioid problem, all of them saw declines of over 10 percent. One of the Institute's research directors says we are at a critical moment in this country where everybody is finally paying attention to this issue. People really don't want them if they can avoid them. If you look at the peak uh, based on this same research, that opioid prescriptions peaked in 2011, but since then have gone down and the 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 I guess rate at which the prescriptions are going down has increased dramatically. That's the whole point of this. So there is even a greater drop in the total dosage of opioid prescriptions filled last year. Now, this is important because the federal government and about half of the states have put in restrictions like limiting the dose of opioids that can be prescribed instead of I'm just I have no idea what this number means. But instead of 100 milligrams, maybe they only prescribe you 50 or 75 milligrams plus the duration of the opioids. Instead of giving you a six week supply, they give you a a one-week supply and say, you're going to have to come back and get another prescription and we're going to have to medically determine whether or not it's important or you're just, you know, hooked at that point. Well, coming up next, we've got new research. More research. More research, uh, which is why I don't know why we had research in the first place on this topic. This is like one of those studies, water is wet. Of course we swear when we're stressed out here in America. But now we've got scientists on the case, which is very important. Gary and Shannon, I mean, will <laughs> stop it. Careful. I know where you're going. You're going to start. Your sailor mouth was coming out. Gary, don't. Don't make me chang. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue. <laughs> The average American, the average American utters their first curse word. Didn't even plan this. Didn't even plan wait, this. Wait, wait, wait. What? Uh, should we do a quick gas go around? Okay. Sure. Why not? Fire up the go around machine, Blake. There it is. At what time oh, okay. of the day yeah. do Americans utter their first bollocks? <laughs> Blake Aloysius Doan. Uh, are we going like the time of the day or how many minutes after waking up? No, time of day. Time of day? Let's go time of day. I will go. He always has a follow-up question. I know, he always does. Try to win. Likes to be clear. Uh, Try to win. <laughs> 9.27 a.m. 9.27. No, wait, no. 7.27 a.m. 7.27. Uh, is uh, that your final know. answer? Yes. Fine. I got that Thank 7.27. Uh, Nick, smartest man in the room, Baverka. Say 8.30. Okay. Okay. A.M. Monica. Nick, that was my answer. Oh, too bad. Uh, I'm going to go with eight then. 
Mm, you should have gone over. And you guys all have potty mouths. Okay. You would have gotten the uh, closest to if you went over. 10.54. The average American late. utters their first curse word of the day at 10.54. Which happens to be in a couple minutes. <laughs> Do you all want to swear <laughs> together? So, I, so already, no, I already know. I already they I can communally word. dump all of us? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's do it. That's we why have we'll, the technology. Oh, my gosh. I've always wanted to do we'll it. We'll do it all at the same time. Okay. So that way when you dump it. And we'll say our it, favorite thing? Right. Okay. Oh, I can't. Mine's filthy. Nope. That's why no. he's going to dump it. That's that's what a curse no. word is, Monica. How filthy uh, is it? No. Uh, my... my no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whoa, that's whoa, my, whoa, my the short one or the long one. She just gave a sign language. There's a short it, one. The and a short long... one oh. is kind of my favorite one because it offends so many oh. people. Is yeah. it? Is it chimichanga? No. <laughs> um, study, I'm offended because I'm Hispanic and a, you said that. I didn't know you were Hispanic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a study Cuban. into the everyday stress and frustration of 2,000 Americans try to figure out how much stress we take on and how we deal with it. For example, bollocks. Um, one in four Americans cannot get past nine in the morning without cursing most days. Well, this is what I think it's about. When you wake up, you're still kind of discombobulated. You're groggy. You're more apt to be clumsy. And when you're clumsy, you curse. You know, you hit your elbow against the nightstand. You slip on Ah, a dog toy. Bollocks. You know, you slip (laughs) on the dog dog toy and you say, Chang, Chang. Right. How long do you think I'm going to get away with swearing in Thai on the radio? Um, great. Until oh, is that what the, you're doing? Yes. Until the it. FCC chair is uh, from uh, from Southeast Asia. <laughs> yeah. So, uh oh. Uh, the number of potty mouths isn't too surprising, considering cursing is the most common way that we express stress and frustration. This was done by Nine Round Kickbox Fitness Company. Uh, they found that finances. That's the correct pronunciation. Finances are the biggest cause of stress and frustration among Americans, 56%. Uh, Not getting enough sleep is a stressor, 36%. Health concerns, 35%. Work, 30%. Uh, One in 10 said that the environment is the source of stress and frustration that makes them curse. And 4% said the national deficit. The national deficit. The national deficit makes them curse. But, but the bar is, I mean, if you look at what what frustrates us, I, I think I've come in every day this week and said, I hate traffic. I drove out to Montclair on Monday afternoon, right after the show, and it took me almost two entire hours to get home from Montclair. Now, a straight shot, that's an hour drive. But because everyone is an idiot on the freeway, it takes two hours. Yeah, I believe that if they just talk to people, uh, as Eric Garcetti would call them, if they just talk to Angelinos, oh, yeah. they would find that most of the cursing happens with traffic. My husband is a very even-keeled person. He does not get upset for things. But traffic will make him lose his freaking mind. And he knows it's going to be there. That's the thing. It's not like it's surprise traffic. Right. You knew driving home from Montclair right. was going to be a disaster. It was going to be busy. Uh, but it still gets you angry to the point of of anger. Isn't that why he takes the train now? Yes. Yes. That sounds lovely. And now he now he gets upset about the train. Specifically <laughs> about the people, the kids who ride the train that won't get up for elderly people. Kids these days. 
you know, they're all on their phones and they're not looking about people around them. And there's like a crippled woman who's like holding on to the, the, the bar when, when a 17 year old could get up and, and give her seat. Now, because this was done by nine round kickbox fitness, it says that 47% of Americans report that after a long, stressful day where they're swearing up a storm, they will do a long workout. And that those who have done those long, physically stressful, physically strenuous workouts, not stressful, that nine in 10 report that it helps them feel less. That's stressed. because the survey was conducted by nine right. round kickbox fitness. Right. I love that place, by the way. Oh, really? I, I love hitting stuff. Yep, yep. I How went many to of them one, swear uh, during the workouts? Oh, I do. Do you? All the time. Yeah. F's here, F's there. I need yeah. more time with Monica Ricks in my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's Let great. her hit you. That's what I'm hearing. That's, that no. sounds like a good idea. <laughs> She's good at hitting. I tried. Uh, Maybe I'm just an aggressive person. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I uh, tried kickboxing once. The guy said, you have to love it. Oh. If you're going to do this, you've got to love it. And I was kind of lukewarm, so I never went back. <laughs> what about just boxing? Just the boxing workouts. Yeah. Those will put you on your butt. I mean, I, I was a big Tybo person, you know, back in the late 90s. What you, was his name? Billy? Billy Banks. Yes. Billy Banks or Blanks? Uh, Billy Blanks, I think. Whatever happened to him? Uh, mm. He's probably he a owns by Tybo. two or three islands right now and is uh, <laughs> he's alive. his money. Let's see. Where is he now? Is he Blanks or Banks? Uh, it's, a, it's Blanks. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, living in Japan now has some new new daughters good good for him good for him to make a bunch of money and then ride off into the sunset of uh rich life that sounds lovely <laughs> all right we come back justin warsham host of the dad podcast going to join us we're going to talk about kids and screen time <gasps> there he is there he is so he's got weird. new facial hair uh did i make it weird yeah gary Very and shannon weird. kfi am 640 KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Hey, coming up later this hour, you will not believe how some California state workers have been able to retain their jobs despite the groping, not just allegations, but stories that the state has has paid people off for, yet these people keep their jobs. It's a a real John and Ken special. It'd be nice to get a handful of... uh... I don't know, somebody, and then just still walk around just impervious to anything. Just, you know. Do you think that would be nice? Well, I'm just saying. You can grab onto Justin here if you want. I have. have. You have? What? Don't don't sound disappointed. No, no, I didn't mean to disappoint. Like, (laughs) it was like grabbing French fries or something, but it was, you know. It was great. For you, maybe. You could say it to the public. It was great. You enjoyed it. Justin Warshaw. You had a good time, Hoffman. Host of the The Dad Podcast. And you can check it out at thedadpodcast.com. A couple other places. Listen, uh, screen time is an issue regardless of how old your kids are. Anyone under the age of 45 has an issue with screen time. Well, and it's one of those issues that you pointed out months ago that is that is an evolving issue. You have to reevaluate what screen time means for your kids on a monthly or weekly or sometimes even daily basis because it changes, they change, exposure changes. 
Well, what I want to talk to you guys about today in regards to this isn't just limiting it as a parent, because uh, I went to a school site council meeting and we were talking about there's a form of curriculum. Uh, it's not even a part of the mandated curriculum, but there's a program that they use at my kids' elementary school for reading. And it, it walks them through everything. And teachers love it and administrators love it because it gives them very specific data sets on where your kid is phonetically and what uh, phonic sounds he's struggling with or if there's sentence structure they're struggling with. And the teacher can then work with them independently and really target in on that stuff. But there were some parents who were also teachers who kind of were pointing out that they felt like their kids were getting burnt out from being on a computer all the time. And so I kind of put out to the question, I was like, well, is there any kind of like district mandated or state mandated screen time limit in school? And everybody kind of went, uh, oh, and like the principal <laughs> wrote down a note like and and that's when it hit me that never this is... let Justin in these meetings again. <laughs> well, Mr. No, Warsham is banned. I think I think it honestly I don't because I'm, I'm not a smart dude, but I think what it is, is that we're so new, like what Shannon is saying, we're so new into this. That we haven't gotten to that point, and right. I think in a lot of ways it's moving faster than what legislation or even you know districts can keep up with. Well, the Washington Post had an interesting article. They talked about a research by Gallup that when you ask parents, I'm sorry, when you ask teachers, we'll do that one first. Yeah. When you ask teachers about the impact of screen time, 69 percent of them said of the teachers said that digital devices have been mostly harmful. Uh, overall, and then when you're talking about physical health, 55% said that it's mostly harmful when it comes to a student's physical health. Right. Wildly different from what parents say about the same thing. Well, can I ask you this, too? Then why, and am I right in saying this, have more curriculum aids been going online? Fewer textbooks, more online programs if teachers and educators feel like it's harmful. Well, I could tell you, uh, I don't know this is an official reason, but I can tell you from my experience in looking at it from like a booster PTA standpoint is that we, they have a lot of issues with funding, right? And big time, we, everybody gets the school supplies list. We talk about it at the beginning of the school where you get that list of things that the school's asking you to donate. And <clears throat> if you bring everything to a computer base, you no longer need to pay for a magazine subscription. You no longer need to pay for all the paper copies or anything like that. Tests, all it is is you pay, you know, eight or nine grand is what on average most of the computer programs cost the school to use for the entire school. And I would imagine that I don't know what their budget is in paper, but I would imagine that it's probably at least half of that, which is just paper alone that they're saving. Yeah, part of it is budget. The other part is it's easier for a lot of the teachers. I mean, yes. imagine if you're if you're a high school English teacher and you have, I don't know, 80 students and you're grading term papers or, you know, some final essay or something like that. Would you rather have now, I personally would rather have a stack of essays because I like a hardbound book. I can't read on e-readers. I don't do that. But I, would you rather have a, a stack of, of 80 term papers or would you have them turned in online so that you can read them online, grade them online, they exist online so you don't lose them, they can't say that they turned it in but they didn't, that sort of stuff. It also gives, uh, it's like a teacher's aid that you have. When when I go in as a student and I answer my questions on math, it it's graded. Yeah. It's a done deal. That's a wrap. And as a parent, it gives me instant access. We have a parent portal for Burbank Unified School District that I've no, I've learned that older uh, parents of older kids, 
have literally restricted them like their kids are restricted from their own phones. Like, because they go in and they go, oh, they didn't do so well on that math test. And by the kid walks in, the kid walking in the door and going, what's going on with the math? Like, do you need yeah. help or everything? And the and kid's like, hey. 24 minutes ago, he just turned <laughs> the paper in. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Kids need time to process that right. stuff. All the lies they need to come up exactly. with. Exactly. You can't just hit me with that. Hit me with a red light when I walk right. in the door. Give me, give me a Pop-Tart. Yeah. He's into it. Good cop me a little. Come on. Uh, if I put those corn syrup wasn't illegal anymore, we would enjoy those Kellogg's pastries. Uh, 69% of parents are, It's. I like this way. the way this shakes out in this Gallup study. 69% of teachers found it mostly harmful. Uh, and 69% of parents found it mostly helpful. And only 59% uh, 59% of parents believe it is, uh, or 59% of the parents also think it is more helpful for their physical health. So parents I love it. I don't understand who those people are. Right? I don't understand that. When, when, if you if you are so, if you're so dumb that you think your kid is somehow getting physical benefit from having a, a phone, having some sort of tablet or device, you are an idiot. Maybe, Buckle up for this stat, Gary. Maybe they think that their kids are getting a leg up when it comes to technology. No. Do you see what you're doing here? I'm you're trying, trying to rationalize. <laughs> well, look at my face. Yeah, I know. Her face even, it hurt. Like, it hurt her to say I'm that. trying to fi- rationalize where that comes from. Get this. There was another study done in 2015 that found that one in four kids consider video games a form of exercise. Right. No. Now, I could tell no. you, this is where it's coming from. I would never mm. believe that. But I could tell you that the days I believe of you sitting on the couch and maybe steering a controller or using it to you know, mimic VR, but it's not really, right? Those days are kind of gone. All of my friends that have kids, the kids hop up and down and play the video game while they're doing it. I guess. Both of my children will break a sweat while playing video games, and I've tried so hard to ruin that, and I don't know You know know what? That's funny. When I went over to your house for something, and your kids were playing, and they were, like, both standing up, and, like you just said, they're running around, and they're hopping up and down, I was like... Wow. Which is yeah. unusual. That is I, I not know what that. my brother and I sat in. My did. son never did that outside of like the Wii or something like that. But I yes. have a nephew. My nephew Kyle would constantly jump and bounce and Twitter and t- yeah. and like he's, as he's playing whatever game it was. Yeah. And I was always amazed at that. Like, isn't it easier to see the screen if your head's not bouncing up and or down? Or to press the button. I keep trying to tell them when they mess something up. I'm like, you just sit and relax, which yeah. is such a horrible parenting. But I, so I, I'm trying to figure out like, What's what's going on with all this? What's what does it mean? Because there's a big part of me that doesn't believe that we're ever going to be able to get people to be Luddites. Right. And I, I no. think that we deal in a very digital society today where we ironically is that either you have to be all in with the technology or you have to be all out. And I think that there is like all things, there is a level of moderation. And I think as parents, we can't necessarily go in there and expect our kids to have zero screen time. I never thought I would be this parent, but I have after doing this research become the guy who's like, I'm going to restrict my kid's screen time to maybe an hour or something after school. Because the American Association of Pediatrics recommends that kids 2 to 18 have no more than two hours of screen time a day. And I tried, even Nick, uh, producer Nick, tried to look up. We tried to find statistics to see, well, how much screen time are they getting in school today? Because right. it's new. I couldn't find any any information on that. Okay, well, we'll talk more about screen time at school when we come back. Talked into Rush, uh... Rush Limbaugh? We're talking to Rush Limbaugh <laughs> about, about parenting and screen time. EIB. Also, your chance to win $1,000 coming up brought to you by Cunning from? Dental. If you got nasty gums, call Cunning Dental for a free exam. 888 640 SMILE. 
tell you how to win coming up. Gary and Shannon yes. will continue with Justin Warsham, host of the Dad Podcast. You watch me beat it till I can't Gary and Shannon, and if you're looking to win some money and who isn't, here you go. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. Got to make sure you answer that phone. If you win, they'll call you from a number you might not recognize. Uh, Mark and Grant Terrace answered the phone, and he won $1,000. Your next chance to win coming up an hour from now. In fact, every hour we're giving away $1,000 between 5 in the morning and 7 o'clock at night through that first hour of the Conway Show. Justin Warsham, host of the Dad Podcast, has joined us. We're talking about uh, digital devices and the difference between the way teachers see digital devices, smartphones, tablets, and computers, versus uh, how uh, parents see the helpfulness, uh, the utility, perhaps, of of these digital devices. Yeah, Gallup did a study, and they found that 69% of teachers believe that digital devices have been mostly harmful to kids' mental health. And that same study found that parents believe the same number of parents find it to be mostly helpful. Now, here's the thing that I think I went through the actual Gallup study, like read the article that Gallup created, and one of the things I found that was not in the first article I found was that 51% of of the teachers under 40 believe that the devices are mostly helpful. So there is another area of this where it's like if your teacher is under 40, I think that they can see the way that the trend is moving and maybe they find it to be useful but if they're older over 40 they're not interested how much is it that parents also think that they're helpful because they're helpful in uh occupying their children that's that's the scary part about it is that it didn't break it down i tried to find if like you can't get the temperament of what they're saying because it's like one of those satisfaction services mostly helpful slightly helpful you know a little less helpful yeah yeah. i hate neutral right i I don't know if this is the right comparison but Some of the stuff that they do on, you know, their tablets, on their smart devices, whatever it is, research, obviously, how to use the Internet as a research tool. Um, But they they will also do things like scientific experiments on their uh, on their devices. To me, that's like saying if you play Madden on your Xbox, you can then go out and play football. Like there's to me, there's a giant difference because. I mean, physically sitting in, I don't know, a chemistry class, for example, and using the Bunsen burners to ignite the something something and turn it into this or that and figuring out the chemical uh, the chemical equation for what happened in the reaction that you saw. All of that should be done in front of you with your hands, physically, pen and paper, pencil and paper, whatever it is, because that's how you learn. If If something else is writing the formula for you. If something else is figuring it out for you, you're never going to learn that. Well, Same thing. Like, what's the difference between a cover two and a prevent defense? You can choose the. <laughs> you can choose them on your uh, on, on Madden, but do you know what the difference is? And can you go out there in the backyard and show me the difference with you and and ten of your closest friends? And one of the biggest things, like that, I found from this whole movement of Common Core Math, which I know makes every parent roll their eyes right now, except for maybe ten percent of them, but is that that's what it's supposed to be is it supposed to be, you're supposed to be able to have a physical representation that gives you a deeper understanding of over, over just memorizing 5 plus 3 knowing is eight. the why exactly yeah. you need to know why this all works together 
And one of the things, uh, to your point, Gary, that teachers are noticing, and I think it's part of this trend of them finding it not as good, is that there was a teacher who was quoted as saying she'd been teaching for 28 years. And she said since the smartphone came out in 07, she's noticed this growing trend of kids not being able to problem solve. By that, they are used to now living in a world where if they have a question, Google they just it. go get the answer. Yeah, there, I can see how there would be a lack of um, focus and attention to working something out. You know, it's the same thing that I don't know if you guys have probably, we're all around the same age, when you're in algebra and they would say, don't bring your TI-82s in, in, into your test class. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they wanted you to work it out for yourself great, and not yeah. just put it through the system. Right. <laughs> that's great. The TI-82. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't – that's the part – this is where I don't know how you guys come down on this, but there, it is it is rough because there's a part of me that, that gets it. I love I love the idea that they can have data on your kids, and I do think there's a lot of people – the parents that I know uh, that are against this kind of stuff in the classroom think that it, it's going to make lazy teachers or make it easier for existing lazy teachers. And I'm a big pro school guy. Like, But realistically, I had three awesome teachers in my entire academic life. I think just like in anything, there's going to be more people who are average or mediocre at best at their gig. And there's, a prob- there's probably a greater likelihood that you're going to run into a teacher who likes the six-hour workday, even though they're not supposed to have just a six-hour workday, and the ones who are busting their butts don't ever have a six-hour workday. I've spent many a PTA event where I see most of the teachers at my kids' elementary school not leaving until 8 or 9 o'clock at night. Well, Um, some people work smarter uh, in a shorter amount of time. That could also be the case. And I'm not here to necessarily argue that point. But the point I'm making, though, is, is that I like that data. And maybe it helps a teacher who isn't as into, and that's not their strength, is being like yeah. really invested in finding different models of learning for each kid. Maybe it helps them be more effective. I don't know. But there, I, I, I wish there's a part of me, the two, that's like, why can't we have like an hour and 20 minutes of just running around and playing? Because a big part of this is that one of the things that some psychologists and child development specialists are noticing is, is that when you take away outdoor and this is a keyword, unstructured play. Structured play is a new thing that I'm learning is a kind of a common thing in elementary schools because what they what they found is is that if they if everybody's playing the same game and the rules of the game are defined, there's little conflict, right? Which is key if you're trying to manage that conflict. Right. But it is not key for kids to be able to learn, learn how to deal, how to with, deal conflict. with conflict. Yeah. In in Akita, you guys were uh, you guys were filling in for handle when I talked about this Octoon Baby, which which is a great book uh, by Sarah Zasky, and she is an American. I didn't, I didn't like the album. Oh, really? It wasn't the best, but right. go on. Anyway, she was an American mom who moved to Germany and she raised her kids in Germany, and she talks about the differences between German parenting and American parenting. And the biggest thing is that in their preschool, the uh, teachers they just kind of look, but they're not really paying attention, and the kids spend most of the time outdoors. And it's on purpose. It's on purpose because they want the kids to be on their own and resolve their own conflicts. The only time a teacher will intervene is if somebody's striking another kid, and then they pull them aside, and then they teach them about empathy. And, and it's how good to be outside in nature yes. with fresh air and sunlight. Those Correct. are all good things for all of us. Which is interesting because, uh, let's see, oh, i got to find it on this sheet of paper. The average kid between 5 and 12 years old is spending less time outside than prisoners. Yeah, that's no good. That's no good. Justin. Less than an hour a day. Thank you, Justin. Oh, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> Host of the Dad Podcast. When we come back. 
Are gropers getting a break in Sacramento? How some state workers get to stay employed after grabbing a handful? The John and Ken Show starts early when we come back. <laughs> Gary and Shannon. <laughs> Gary and Shannon. It's Thursday, April 19th. Oh, my gosh. I just realized this. This is the anniversary of uh, the Columbine massacre. It was 99? 98? 99? We'll talk about that, I think, in the trending segment. We... Uh, we love these stories of uh, people who are groping each other at the state government level and then getting away with it. Officials in uh, Porterville, for example, the Porterville Developmental Center in the Sierra Foothills, do not allow for public tours because there are hundreds of people who live there and they want to protect their privacy. A lot of them, the vast majority of them, have some sort of mental disabilities and behind the walls of the Porterville Developmental Center, this uh, the state was employing people who were sexually harassing and retaliating against the people. Now, the, the peace officers charged with protecting the people who live there had been taking advantage of some of these people. According to a lawsuit from five years ago, it cost you and I $1.6 million, by the way. According to this lawsuit, five peace officers accused five other officers groping yeah leering got it making vulgar comments mm-hmm. spreading sexually explicit rumors okay pending anonymous threatening notes mm-hmm. playing suggestively with a banana uh displaying pornographic images on a work computer and other demeaning conduct now all five of the bad actors were by Fired? No. no, unfortunately really not. They It was a shell game for the state. Um, after the first $600,000 settlement was reached, the state acted. What did it do? Did it fire this guy? No. no. It promoted one of the accused officers, a guy by the name of David Corral. It gave him a new title. Uh, along with that promotion came a 23% raise. And it just did what... The Catholic Church did when it sent him to a sister facility 200 miles away in lovely Costa Mesa. And the reason that it smacks of that same type of situation is that this same guy was accused once again of sexual harassment within two years. This time the payout was about 400 grand. They were just moving the problem around in our name. Because we're the ones paying for that 23% raise. We're the ones paying out those $1.6 million. Now, this is not just a Porterville Developmental Center issue. This is not just a peace officer issue. It is a state of California government issue. Because in the state of the 16 cases in which the individual defendants were named, the Sacramento Bee did this investigation, they found of the 16 cases, payouts more than $150,000, so these are relatively serious cases if the payouts are going to be that big, 10 of those 16 people continued to receive pay raises, and two of them were even promoted after the state paid out 
these sexual harassment I'm cases. I'm going to pull the car over really quick. Get it. Because at best, the claims against these people were shoddy and not good, but the state said, eh, well, screw it. We're dealing with other people's money. Let's just pay them out and make this go away. That's at best. At worst, the state knew that these were bad people and made the payouts and then kept the bad people and hid them further by promoting them and giving them more money. It's a bad situation either way. What, whatever option you take, it, it's equally bad. The, and the, the, the individual cases are all so similar just in terms of the way they were handled that it's, it should frustrate you. Correctional officer in 2012 accused of harassing and stalking a female guard was moved to another maximum security prison. His pay rose until he retired uh, last year with a $48,000 annual pension. The lawsuit, again, he was accused of harassing and stalking a guard. The lawsuit was settled for $750,000. When you start digging into the settlements that the state reaches with people and that the city reaches with people, there is, to some extent, and it's undeniable, some of that mentality of, ah, well, let's just settle. Let's just make this go away. It's, it's, it's cheaper it's to settle. It's only 650 grand. But, and a lot of times they make that, their calculus is it's going to be cheaper for us to settle than to have, for example, a legal jury fees. find against us plus the legal fees. And you're talking millions and millions of dollars. But you know who knows that? Litigious people. Right. People who are going to file claims against the state and the city knowing that that is their mentality. So like you said, even if it's a shoddy case and they throw the shot up against the wall to see what sticks, they're going to get a $750,000, $900,000 payoff, whatever it is. One peace officer who was at the center of two sexual harassment and retaliation settlements Totaling $1.1 million was granted a state medical retirement. Okay, now state medical retirement by itself? Okay, I can understand depending on what's going on. But listen to this. Three and a half years later, he returns as a post-retirement worker. He's double dipping at this point. Despite being the the reason the state had to pay $1.1 million to keep his accusers quiet. By the way... He blamed the state for ruining his health. He blamed the Department of Consumer Affairs for ruining its health, his health with all of its groundless internal investigations into his conduct. That's somebody who knows how to work the system. That is, a, uh, that is quite a shot right there. In at least three instances, they say, a harassers acu- a bounced from one department to another even after these large settlements were paid out. A male supervisor at the CHP led to a $600,000 settlement through his bad conduct. He's now at a different department earning 36% more than when he joined the CHP in December of 2011. Now, you ask the state about these cases, and they say, well, yeah, it's been a little inconsistent. Inconsistent. It's embarrassing. It's not inconsistent. But again, it's what you do if you're spending money that's not yours. That's exactly That's what it goes back to. And it's so it's so weird, the... It's so weird that you've got this mentality in in a corporate thing like a government, and just that I mean that there's so many people involved. Like if you gave me that's the thing, it's too big of a bureaucracy. If you gave me a hundred bucks and said I'm I'm trusting you to buy Blake a good present, not that we would give Blake presents, but if we give, I would go out of my way to spend your money wisely because it's not mine. I don't want you to be pissed off at me, and vice versa. But if 
if you're a government for some reason and the money just comes in to, from 40 million faceless people, it's okay for you to just write checks willy-nilly and not fight for each individual penny. Like, I, I would give you a receipt for the $79 whatever I bought Blake and give you the change and say, here's what I got and hopefully it's okay and that sort of thing. Whereas in the state government, even though, yes, technically they're supposed to have receipts and show me what I bought with my money, they don't care. They're not as careful as you would be with individual money. Well, coming up next, we have wildlife freeway bridges locally to tell you about. Could this really be happening? I think you. Uh, I think it's okay for you to pat yourself on the back here. Well, nothing's really uh, a go yet, um, but I, I wouldn't take a victory lap. You know, that's, it's the that's animals. Exactly, that's it's exactly the, what the, a hero would it's say. It's the animal. I'm just doing my job. That's exactly what heroes say. It's the animals that should be able to take a victory lap to the other side of Los Angeles to find some new meat. Animal tail. Mm-hmm. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. Gary and Shannon. Oh, boy. Hey, how is it that people uh, follow us on social media? Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you asked that because it happens to be Twitter Thursday. Oh. I know. I just got the memo now, a little late into the show, but it is Twitter Thursday. You follow us at Gary and Shannon on Twitter. We follow you right back. How cool is that? And all day we retweet your musings. That's great. Um, thank you, by the way, for the uh, for the Twitter notification from Ginny. I was a day off. The Columbine anniversary is tomorrow. Today is the Waco anniversary. I don't remember you mentioning. I just did. Oh. Well, that was because you were late. Oh. See what remember happens that time, when I'm not here? Remember that time you were walking out the hallway and I was doing the show and you're like. How would you not remember that Columbine <sighs> was 420 and you covered that and you didn't remember? Well, I didn't get there until 421. I don't enjoy it when you're wrong. I don't either. It's embarrassing. Well, let me tell you about the mountain lions. I know you don't like to talk about this because your heart is not there. (laughs) (laughs) But let's go back to mountain lion kittens P-59 and P-60. They were found in the Santa Monica Mountains last summer. And when they were, I believe that we launched a naming, uh, some sort of naming contest because I felt like the the mountain lions should be given better names than P-59 and P-60. I don't remember what their names are. Can we get some, like, some spring music spring music yeah spring is okay spring is right this now? the music you listen to when you hear about incest because uh, that's what i'm about to tell you about oh sure i was gonna ask for violin music but this will do spring is, awakening will do these are violins sad violin oh sad violins let me see what i can P-59 and P-60 were the result of inbreeding, guys. We're talking about animals that are cut off by freeways from other animal families. And so members of these two separate mountain lion groups are forced to inbreed. You know what this means. It means a depleted gene pool. It means birth defects. It means an inability to reproduce eventually. We need to save the mountain lion population from extinction. A team of scientists this week released a report recommending the construction of those wildlife crossings. 
that would span two of our busiest freeways. It would enable these cougars, these mountain lions, to cross breed. Okay, that doesn't make, they don't make that noise. You don't know that. Have you ever been there when you've seen a couple mountain lions? Don't you think people would have reported the sound of hand clapping and then a small mountain lion cub several months later? They're suggesting a wildlife overpass at Liberty Canyon Road, uh, of course, the 101 there in Agora Hills, that would help the stranded mountain lions in the Santa Monica Mountains. And then, uh, and then Simi Hills and, and Santa Susana Mountains wild li- uh, wildlife and mountain lions could always all get together. We stop clapping our hands to insinuate the, that they make that noise. The other potential wildlife crossing would go over the I-15 south of the Temecula Creek Bridge in Riverside County. Because there are isolated lion populations there. Santa Monica well, Mount, Santa, uh, excuse me, Santa Ana Mountains on the west with those in the Palomar Mountains. Both populations have the lowest level of genetic diversity of mountain lions ever documented. Why is there a question mark in your voice? We have talked about this. This is why this is so important. They are, remember that one mountain lion that she she had sex with her grandfather to make babies? Well, I know you don't like hearing the specifics, but you need to. Now, Caltrans is studying an overpass at the Liberty Canyon location. Cost is estimated to be about $50 million to $60 million. The National Wildlife Federation has raised $3.7 in donations so far. They're hoping to get to $10 million by the end of the year. Don't say it can't be done either. I'm not saying it Because can't. a wildlife bridge and tunnel has been successful over the I-9 in Colorado. Listen to this stat. Studies show a 100% success rate for bighorn sheep, bears... Bobcats, coyotes, fox, moose, deer, mountain lions. That's a lot of clapping going on. you're getting it. A lot of clapping. Last week in Temecula, the Nature Conservancy paid nearly $2 million for 73 acres in the Rainbow Canyon area. Located on the east side of the potential crossing. They don't want to, with the Rainbow Canyon area, they don't want to call this the Rainbow Bridge, do they? No. that's a... What's wrong with you? I'm just saying. You know how many animals meet the Rainbow Bridge when they try to to cross the the 101 at the 405? That's what I mean. They wouldn't want to I mean, it's not only hell for us, that junction. It is hell for them. That's eight lines of, of traffic that has been a death sentence for many mountain lions. They're just simply trying to have sex with people that are not in their family. People. I, lions. <laughs> you know what I mean? I I'm glad you're finding humor. Uh, <laughs> what I'm, I'm curious to know why now, why we need to involve civil engineering faculty and students from San Diego State, Cal Poly Pomona, city officials from Temecula, Caltrans, Department of Fish and Wildlife, to design either a bridge or a tunnel. How hard is it to design? Because it's a- not done yet. No, no, I know it's not done. I'm, I'm asking, we're not we're not supporting right. 15-ton True. big rigs across yeah. this bridge. Yeah, this wasn't the team that had to get together when we transported the shuttle over the uh, 405 right, down no. there on the the Ford truck. 
Toyota. 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 I know they paid a lot of money for that campaign, so I don't want to screw it up. Um, and they did this in Davis, if I'm not mistaken. Wasn't it frogs that they had a tunnel built for? Uh, it sounds vaguely familiar. Um, so I, it's a tunnel. I mean, it's just basically conduit, a big yeah. sewer conduit that they stick under the freeway. How? Why is that? Yeah, a- there's a tunnel underpass for toads in Davis. Have you ever gone there? Have I gone to Davis? No, to the Toad Tunnel. No, it wasn't. I don't think I've been in they Davis. They call it Toad time. Hollow. There's a little toad infrastructure there, a little toad homes with solar panels on their roof. You're lying. Uh, no, I'm not. I've got pictures right here. Who that, put in their solar panels? Solar Max. Probably. All right. The toads know who to go with. We have... <laughs> Uh, we have our trending stories coming back in a few minutes. Also, yesterday was the big anniversary of the 1906 earthquake that Shannon's grandpa was a part of, right? Well, he survived oh, it. He was a child um, at the time. We'll get into Swamp Watch and talk about the latest Mike Pompeo's activity on Capitol Hill. He is the CIA director who is also the Kim Jong-un meter who may become the next secretary of state, depending on how this round of meetings go. All of that, the 1 o'clock hour, Mark Saltzman. We're getting into strange science. If he doesn't become Secretary of State, isn't that a great story to tell at a bar on a Tuesday afternoon at 3 if you're unemployed? You're former About CIA that director. time I met with uh, Kim Jong-un. You want to hear that story? <laughs> Again? Come on, Mike. It's time to stop. All coming up next on Gary and Shannon. I start cooling out my head. I'm on a cover myself with the ashes of you. And nobody's going to give a damn. Son of a bitch, give me a drink, one of the night, I can't be me, son of a bitch. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM640, coming up in the next hour, or next hour, I guess I should say, when we talk strange science, designer babies. Designer babies will likely be possible in the near future. We'll tell you where the science is today. Terrifying. What would you design your? I baby? was just thinking, what would I change about my children? Oh, is it like the physical <laughs> attributes? Uh, I'm not sure because I can't make them smarter or funnier. No, they're they're all of or that. Nicer, they're all of that. I would change nothing about them. <laughs> it's like in Westworld where you change the little sliders on the personality things, right? Yeah, like exactly a, what. That's I wonder like. if you could do like a designer co-host. What are you saying? Nothing. Hey, Blake, what else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, the Southwest continues to trend as a result of the midair disaster that took place on Tuesday when a flight from New York to Dallas was uh, interrupted by an engine blowing apart and things from the engine, shrapnel from the engine, hitting the fuselage, busting out a window and sucking a 43-year-old woman partially through that window. Jennifer Reardon was killed, and we now know the official cause of death. Killed by blunt objects smacking into her head, neck, torso. Blunt trauma impact. Not only did she herself hit the fuselage, you know, with the wind buffeting her at 600 miles an hour, they said that there was also debris and shrapnel from the engine itself that hit her. So, I mean, just a ridiculously gruesome task in that incident we saw earlier today or we we did the story earlier today that the faa is also 
requiring inspections on those types of engines, and there are several hundred of them in use today. Well, you heard in Monica's news there will be no criminal charges connected to Prince's death. Best song he ever did. Prince died from an accidental fentanyl overdose after he took counterfeit pills containing fentanyl. Uh, The county attorney said Prince had no idea he was taking a counterfeit pill that could kill him. Uh, But there's no evidence showing how he obtained that counterfeit pill. There is a weird thing because the Minnesota doctor who saw him twice in the weeks before he died did agree to pay to this $30,000 penalty. But as part of this agreement... Dr. Michael Schulenberg doesn't admit any liability. They said, and this was important, not one of the prescriptions, and they found a bunch of them, not one of the prescriptions they found in Prince's home was actually prescribed to Prince. It was all everyone else. It was friends. It was coworkers, et cetera. None of them were actually in his name. Well, there is a Tennessee Air National Guard colonel and senior non-commissioned officer in the news uh, trending online because they've been removed from their positions. Why? Well, there was a video posted online that depicted a re-enlistment ceremony involving a dinosaur hand puppet. The colonel was administering the ceremony and the senior non-commissioned officer wears the puppet on her right hand while taking an oath. This is why people de- <laughs> this is why people deactivate their Facebook accounts. Yeah. Had this not been posted on social media, there's a chance you and I would never have heard about it. But because they posted the picture of her standing there with a dinosaur puppet on her right hand taking the oath, we all know about it. The Tennessee Air National Guard was up ha- uh, upset about it and they booted both of them. A spokesman for the Tennessee National Guard's Joint Public Affairs Office said the video was made for the children of the woman who took the oath who were not in attendance. She did this for her kids, even. There is a home up in Northern California making news today. It is sold for $1.23 million. Well, why is it in the news? Well, it shows you how ridiculous the housing market is in the Bay Area because everyone in the tech industry makes so much damn money. And there are mil- uh, uh, tons of millionaire 20-year-olds up there, and they need some place to live. And so they're buying up the essiest of essiest places. This home, this $1.3 million home, is a condemned home. It's a it's a teardown. It's not worth... It's a complete teardown. There's nothing in it that's worth any money. I'm just buying this little parcel of land. They said it's about a 4,000-square-foot lot, which is not a huge lot. I mean, even for that part of town, it's not a huge lot, but that the they want to build a completely green home that they're going to put up on the market within five months, which is also a pretty aggressive construction schedule. This is Fremont. My aunt and uncle live in South San Francisco uh, in a in a smaller home. And I'm just I just wonder if it crosses their mind. You know, we could retire on what we could sell this home for, probably. My parents bought their first home, this north, north of San Francisco, but they bought their home in uh, Petaluma for about this same price, about $13,000 when they first bought it. And they sold it in the, I want to say, early 90s and mid-90s, perhaps. And needless to say, their mortgage payment was, what, $68 a month, yeah. <laughs> something like that? And when they paid off the mortgage, they had a big party, and then everything that they got when they sold that house was just uh, pure profit at Insane. that point. Insane.
Uh, there is a woman in Texas who has been put in jail for hanging up on 911 callers. This woman, uh, Krishanda Williams, sentenced to 10 days in jail, 18 months probation after an investigation into an unusual number of short calls in her job as a 911 operator. Short calls. Yeah, short calls, meaning that it lasted no longer than 20 seconds. She was working for the Harris County Emergency Dispatch Team, which services the uh, the city of Houston. They found her guilty of interference with emergency phone calls, including instances in which vehicles were proceeding at dangerous speeds on a highway. Someone was attempting to report a violent burglary. This woman literally was telling people, ain't nobody got time for this. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. So these weren't people in Victorville calling 911 to report out-of-control tumbleweeds. These were legitimate 911 calls. Don't start me with that again. Can't get out of your house because of a tumbleweed. You don't. Just stay in your house at that point, okay? Just stay in your house. Coming up next, it's only a matter of when, not if, that we get hit with the next big earthquake. We're going to talk about it when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Also, your chance to win $1,000 right around the corner brought to you by Cunning Dental. If you got earthquake mouth, call Cunning Dental for a free exam. 888-640-SMILE. That's coming up next. Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon, your chance to win $1,000. Here's how you're going to do it. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200. Got to answer that phone. If you win, they'll give you a call. Might be from a number you don't recognize. And if you don't answer, they're going to move on and give $1,000 to somebody else. But if you don't win this hour, there's a chance next hour. In fact, every hour from 5 in the morning through 7 o'clock at night, we are giving away $1,000 an hour here on KFI. The Red Cross is so key, and we usually only talk about the American Red Cross when we're talking about a disaster and the response to a disaster. And that is why it's so important to talk about the Red Cross at other times. Uh, We are right in the midst of our seventh annual Get Prepared California auction. It runs from uh, up until April 30th, I guess I I should say. Um, It's sponsored by the California Earthquake Authority, and this raises money for disaster preparedness and relief efforts right here in California. We have a bunch that we're doing. Uh, Glenn Pomeroy, Chief Executive Officer of the California Earthquake Authority, joins us once again. How are you today? I'm good. Good to see you guys again. You have, uh, it seems like once a year, every year for the last several years, you've been able to come in and uh, talk to us about what's going on with the Earthquake Authority. But um, I think the, before we get into the auction or all those great things that are available, uh, yesterday we celebrated it was the 112th anniversary, I guess, of the San Francisco earthquake. Right. Um uh, what is it that people? What is it that you find people still don't get about earthquake preparedness? You know, it's funny. We live in this beautiful state, but we have tons of earthquake risk. And the scientists say we're going to get, we're going to hit again. It's it's a certainty. Just don't know when or where. So they put probabilities around it. We know there's like a ninety nine percent chance of a six point seven somewhere, and you know there's all these probabilities. But they almost sort of become mind numbing when, when you hear all these percentages. Fact of the matter is. California is going to get hit again by a big damaging earthquake. It's it's just a matter of the tectonic plates are going to are going to do what they're going to do. 
So we got to get prepared. And, and the thing about it is, because they don't happen very often, they tend to sort of put us into a state of complacency. Well, I've lived here for 30 years. I've never been damaged by an earthquake. And so that, that sort of lends a person to think that, I guess, I don't need to worry about it. So it's the infrequency of this kind of catastrophe that makes it so difficult to get prepared for. In terms of insurance, the how do people go about getting it? There's still some confusion, I think, for people, for homeowners yeah. especially, how they go about getting earthquake insurance and figuring out whether they're covered or not. In California, it's very clear. Um, there is no coverage for earthquake in the standard homeowner's policy. It's excluded. Um, federal government's not going to come in and bail everybody out. Uh, the only way to get protected is to buy a separate earthquake insurance policy. Now, this used to be prohibitive when it comes to cost. It did. But that's not the case now. You know, that's that's exactly right. Uh, following Northridge 22 years ago, prices like tripled and it went through the roof. And then the state created this CEA, California Earthquake Authority, not-for-profit earthquake insurance company, basically governed by the three elected officials, the governor, the insurance commissioner, and state treasurer. It's our mission to make earthquake insurance affordable and available and get as many people protected as possible. So we uh, earthquake insurance now... It costs about half of what it did back uh, in the days following Northridge because we've been able to bring our rates down and, and make our coverage so much more flexible and, and, and give people so many more choices. Now, if someone, all they need to do is jump on our website, earthquakeauthority.com, earthquakeauthority.com, and uh, just play around with a calculator for a little bit, a premium calculator, by putting in their zip code and, and, and telling and making some choices in terms of how much coverage they want. They can see immediately what kind of premium they'd be asked to pay. They can lower it or raise it depending on their tolerance level. They're in the driver's seat to choose the policy that meets their own needs and budget. When was the last time you had to pay out anything? Well, uh, I mean, is it, is it happen on a regular basis, even um, minor earthquakes? Or? You know, uh, the Napa earthquake, uh, what, 2014, I guess was the last one we had a significant amount of damages. And, and, and that was a moderate earthquake, and not many people were insured up there. So we only paid out 3 or $4 million in, in covered losses. <clears throat> um, it's been a few years before that. We have, we have benefited from 22 years of, of relative, actually more than that now. Uh, uh, Northridge is 94. So since that time, we have benefited in this state by what we call peacetime. Yeah. Uh, it's been quiet, which has allowed us to get our financial strength underneath us. Make make a better product available. Get more people insured. We just hit a million mark uh, a couple months ago, which we're pleased with. But the problem is, we're just getting started. I mean, there's ninety percent of the homes in this state don't have earthquake insurance still, so that's terrible. Uh, it's going to be a horrible disaster following the earthquake when most people can't recover. We've got to we've got to get more people covered. In that vein, uh, in terms of taking care of people after the fact. We have a Get Prepared California auction, and this is donating money for a good cause, and it's an incredible sweetener to the deal with the stuff that you can auction on. Yeah. Now, um, I, I love this organization that I run with our not-for-profit mission, but one of my favorite things that we do throughout the year is partner with you guys, iHeart uh, Media, and and do this auction for the American Red Cross. When disaster strikes, it's Red Cross that, that are hidden into – uh, ground zero, uh, um, handing out blankets, putting people up for the night, distributing sandwiches, making people safe, and they need our support. So iHeart and CEA once a year uh, run this incredible auction where people can go online, get prepared, um, uh, California or get prepared dot org. The, the web. It's get prepared California dot org. Uh, thank you. Yeah, 
um, uh, and look at the amazing things they can bid on. You know, uh, this is um, I was going through the list. You have not only a 2018 Kia Optima, but you have a 2018 Kia Optima delivered by Big Boy. Yeah. He is going to oh, drive this awesome. thing to your that's house. The thing, yeah. <laughs> uh, they have a double down. I love this as well. Two U2 concerts. You get to see U2 twice in L.A. and then in Vegas. Oh, that's a fun time. Uh, meet and greets with all these artists. Gwen Stefani, Maroon 5, Lionel Richie, Ricky Martin, Charlie Puth, Niall Horan, Imagine Dragon. I mean, and the list goes on and on yeah. and on. It's showing my age backstage with Chicago. Um, uh, Hang out with Mario Lopez on the set of Extra. Oh, see the NFL game in London. That's a Chargers game, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, Uh, You can have a a field day for one of your kids with the Dodgers. Yeah. All of this is incredible. And then the one thing that we are doing as well uh, here at KFI is we have uh, another one of our big cocktail events, uh, KFI Mixer, with all of the on-air hosts that we're going to do at OUE Sky Space L.A., when you get in there, it's not just a, it's not just an uh, an auction. I mean, it's not going to go to the highest bidder. It's just basically a one price ticket, and then as many people as we can fit in there are going to get to go in there. Uh, it's OUE Sky Space, and it's going to be in. Uh, it, it looks like it will be October first, so long time to plan for it. But you get to hang out with all of us and go out to OUE Sky Space. And if you're crazy enough, like producer Nick is, you're going to slide down the slide. And hang out there. Uh, These are experiences money can't buy elsewhere. Is absolutely. It? The creative minds of the folks at iHeart figured out a way to put this together. We're a proud sponsor to bring this uh, to the public. And all the money goes to the American Red Cross. To get, working together, we've raised over a million dollars for this organization over the past seven years. And, and we're hoping to add significantly to that this year. We'll continue to tell you about it multiple times between now and when the auctions close. But go to GetPreparedCalifornia.org and you can see all of the different auctions uh, items that are up there. Uh, and, of course, buy your tickets to our KFI Mixer, where you meet and greet all of the uh, KFI on-air personalities. Glenn, thanks so much for coming by. appreciate it. Thank you, guys. We'll get into Swamp Watch when we continue with the Gary and Shannon Show. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Marcella sounds like the move right now. Apparently, Coachella goers got an alert. Hey, you cannot set your stuff up overnight. And uh, a bunch of people going to Coachella said, screw it, we're going anyway. They got there. The streets were called, blocked off. They said, we're not letting you in. So everybody hopped on the Coachella Reddit and found out that the hotspot was Walmart. So now they've got their music blaring. (laughs) Got their uh, near nakedness showing. Uh, what I love is that they're nice about it. They're talking about you know come have some beers, clean up your trash, make friends, let's stay positive. Look at this. This Walmart parking lot is packed. That's nice. <laughs> and it's all because they can't camp yet. They are not allowing people to camp, uh, set up their tents and everything outside Coachella because the winds have been so high out there. They don't want people's tents flying away. Uh, there was one big structure that they had up there that was just ripped apart by the winds overnight. Is where they're doing some trapeze stuff. All right. They say gusts could reach 60 miles per hour, by the way. Isn't that a tropical storm, basically? Strength? Well, here in California, we don't call them tropical storms. Oh. We call them high winds. Okay. But you're right. It is tropical storm strength, but we don't get those here. Oh, interesting. What are you, from Florida? Oh. <laughs> Swamp Watch. Well, the president has led 
the door open when it comes to bailing on his meeting with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. I love this. He makes these comments. Uh, I'll play for you what he said first. Here you go. This is If we can get along if with get along. China yeah. and if we can get along with Russia yep. and if we can get along with Japan and other nations, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Just remember that. Okay. Now, he makes perfect sense there, right? I don't think there's anybody who disagrees with that. The caveat is, what are we giving up to get along with those countries? What is it that we are laying on the table or willing to ignore just to get along with somebody? If I want to get along with my brother-in-law, it's because I'm not going to talk about politics, (laughs) right? right? I mean, you have to be able to give something up a lot of times to, finger quotes, get along with these other entities. Trump said that CIA director Mike Pompeo, his pick for secretary of state, and Kim Jong-un got along really well in their recent secret meeting. If I think that it's a meeting that is not going to be fruitful, we're not going to go. If the meeting when I'm there is not fruitful, I will respectfully leave the meeting. I don't know how you do that, but it's totally his ability to do so, I guess. Um I'm not sure. We have heard that this could take place as early as June, although there's still no decision on a venue. I would assume that that did come up, perhaps, with uh, the meeting between Mike Pompeo and Kim Jong-un. The South Korean president is going to meet with Kim Jong-un next week, and that is going to continue. These uh, ongoing talks are going to continue. It's interesting because it was just late last year that Trump and Kim Jong-un were trading uh School yard threats, yeah, with each other and name calling and right, little Rocket Man. Do you think that comes up? No. Do you think it goes into the little bro zone where they're like, nah, you know, I I didn't mean that. Like I was just playing. I was just trying to get attention. <laughs> I don't think either one of them are going to say that. No, but that's what both of them. That's exactly what operate they on. Yeah. Um, speaking of Mike Pompeo, so he has been uh, grilled by the Senate Foreign Relations Committee already. He is one of the guys, or he is the guy who's been nominated to become the next Secretary of State after, um, uh, man, I already forgot his name. Who was the former Secretary of State? Our oil guy. What's, what, oh, Rex okay. Tillerson. Thank you, Rex Tillerson. I was thinking Ralph. I don't know if we've ever had a Secretary of State named Ralph. It's my dad's name. But Re- is he Secretary of State? No, okay. far from it. So Rex Tillerson, uh, Rex Tillerson is out and has been out, and we know that Mike Pompeo was the one who was nominated. But he's Ralph a- Monroe is a retired Republican politician who was the 13th Secretary of State of Washington. How did you? Oh, <laughs> I was going to say that did sound familiar. <laughs> um, all right, so so uh, Mike Pompeo has been spending all day. On Capitol Hill, shaking hands, kissing babies, shaking babies and kissing hands. Senator Heidi Heitkamp, the Democrat from North Dakota, says that she is the first Democrat to publicly announce that she will support Mike Pompeo as Secretary of State. That basically guarantees that he will win confirmation. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. Even if there are high-profile uh Senators who come out and say they don't feel comfortable confirming him, they don't like this, they'll fight against it, etc. 
it's still almost a slam dunk that whoever is chosen as the Secretary of State is going to get confirmed. You remember how bad uh, the the comments were when Hillary Clinton was nominated for Secretary of State, and how bad and vitriolic the comments were when John Kerry was nominated to become the Secretary of State. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Both of them won 94 votes in the Senate. So it's one thing to come out and publicly make a stand against whatever candidate for secretary of state. But actually casting a no vote takes a lot more than just, you know, just big words in these ongoing PR battles that go on. What do you make of the Nikki Haley story? Uh I have a lot more respect for her than I thought I would. Yeah. You know, she's she's basically getting the memo that there's going to be sanctions on Russia and says they'll be announced as soon as Monday or whatever. And then the White House is like, eh, maybe she was confused. And her her takeaway or the takeaway was I, I don't get confused. Yeah. And I loved that. She's just the latest person that has been uh, that ends up with egg on her face, for lack of a better term. Um because the Trump administration says sometimes it's going to do things one way and then it surprises everyone by doing them the other way. Or I guess I should say doesn't surprise everyone by doing things the other way. You know, what's it's hard to stay on message with this administration because it changes its mind so quickly and she's, easily. She's one of the few who went from a political world into the Trump world in terms of being a cabinet member there. That was that was plucked out of, you know, she was the governor of South Carolina. So she had grown up, to use a bad term, she'd grown up within politics and knew how that worked. And I think that she's been given sort of a, a more freedom than the political world would have given her if she's in the Trump cabinet. If, I mean, if she was in someone else's cabinet. Yeah. So she can come back with a shot like that. Right. In any other political environment, that would have been completely frowned upon. But because she has this feeling of, okay, hold on a second. We're playing by the seat of our pants now. I'm not going to be the one thrown under the bus on right. this. I'm not going to look like I didn't know what was going on right. or I got confused. It's, I'm not going to be the fall guy. I'm not going to be the, the silly woman who just abs- right. you know read into it wrong and was histrionic with my reaction. Right. And I think that's a – I like that. I mean, I, I think that one of the benefits of perhaps what uh, – was it Ted Cruz called this the flash bang grenade that, that President Trump has become a flash bang grenade for us to Washington, D.C.? Yeah. Maybe it's snapping some of these politicians out of being handcuffed by their political uh, goals and the restrictions of the party, Big P Party, and they're just kind of allowing their feelings to be felt. Feelings to be felt? Feelings to be heard. That's what I'm looking for. Well, President Trump's personal attorney has dropped a pair of libel lawsuits. Michael Cohen. Name's been in the news quite a bit. We'll tell you all about it when we come back. Swamp Watch will continue with Gary and Shannon. Twitter Thursday. Follow us at Gary and Shannon. We'll follow you right back. How cool is that? Very, very cool. Next hour, Mark Saltzman is going to join us, uh, our tech columnist from USA Today. We also have some good, weird, odd science stories to get into for our uh, Science Thursday segment. Eh, Clunky, but no, we'll work on it.
Uh, Michael Cohen is busy. Michael Cohen is the president's personal attorney who had his offices uh, raided by the FBI, his home, his office, and a hotel room last week. Federal investigation of possible financial fraud, among other things. They're looking into this payment that he supposedly made to um, to Stormy Daniels and whether or not he committed bank fraud when he used a home equity line of credit to pay her for her silence, as well as the potential for some campaign finance violations related to the payment. Uh, he's very busy, so he has dropped a couple of lawsuits that he had filed. Um, he was he was suing BuzzFeed and Fusion GPS over the Steele dossier. He was uh, suing both of those because they were the ones who published it. It was a, a Fusion GPS that did the work, and then it was BuzzFeed who eventually published the dossier, if you remember. Uh, this is the one that described the PP tape. The Wall Street Journal did an article, or, excuse me, did an interview with one of the president's longtime legal advisors. How many lawyers does this guy have? Many. It's his addiction. <laughs> you know, I was reading an article about how he doesn't have vices, really. You know, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't do drugs. He never has, never touched his stuff. Just Dico. But he just and adjo- cheeseburgers and cheeseburgers. <laughs> but I don't think those are bad things. Um, but, you know, he, he does have this un, this just strange addiction to having many attorneys around him all the time. But I don't know how unique that is when you're doing the amount of business that Donald Trump has done through the decades. I think it's pretty natural to have attorneys for everything and several of them on hand. Well, this guy um, was one of his longtime legal advisors. And his name is Jay Goldberg. He's a former prosecutor. And he did an interview with the Wall Street Journal, a two-hour interview in his apartment on the Upper East Side yesterday. And he says, well, he went into several details about this 15-minute conversation he had Uh, with the president. An important piece here because this is not sourced to someone who's unnamed. Yeah. This is the guy who had the conversation with him. So, you know, the idea that this is fake news should be shot in the foot right away because – I mean, granted, it is possible that the conversation never took place, although the White House did confirm that the conversation took place between the president and Mr. Goldberg. I don't think that this interview would have happened without the president's blessing. I think that this was a firmly planted interview. Interesting. Yep. Um, So Jay Goldberg told The Wall Street Journal that he warned the president in a phone call last week about Michael Cohen that Michael Cohen would turn against the president and cooperate with federal prosecutors if faced with criminal charges. It said that Trump made the call for advice from Jay Goldberg. Uh, Jay Goldberg, by the way, represented Trump in the 90s, early 2000s. And Goldberg cautioned the president in this 15-minute call not to trust Mr. Cohen. On a scale of 100 to 1, or 100 is fully protecting the president, Mr. Cohen isn't even at a 1, he said. Wow. What's funny is, well, funny is not the right word, but the other side of that is that Michael Cohen had already said that he supports the president. Mr. Uh, Mr. Goldberg said Mr. Trump told him on Friday that Mr. Cohen is very strong. And for the, his part, uh, Michael Cohen tweeted this month, I will always protect our president. He used at POTUS as the uh, uh, as the identifier for the president. But. The government has this thing where, you know, they put enough pressure on you, you're going to crack no matter who you think you're protecting. And 
uh, Goldberg uses the example of Sammy the Bull Gravano. Listen, the government was able to break Sammy the Bull Gravano just to make his prison stay a little nicer, which took down the mob. So, you know, there's one thing to be said about the power of the government able to crack people like this. Uh, Goldberg also does not suffer from uh, a filter. He's 85. And at this point, he's probably going to tell it like it is. He also he's one of the guys who has come up to the president and said, don't don't sit down for an interview with Robert Mueller. You have nothing to gain. That talking, just talking to the special prosecutor is a trap. Yeah. And even if you think you have nothing to hide, there are some things that you can get yourself in trouble in just by talking to That's them. what good lawyers say. Yeah. They're trying to protect their clients. But isn't that but that's gotta be a frustrating thing. I mean, if you are if you if you get charged with something for, you know, killing somebody and you know you didn't do it, there would be you know, you would want would to be able to get up there and and convince the twelve Hears that you didn't do it, but your attorney would say, "Listen, I know you didn't do it, but that guy over there, the Here's prosecutor's the thing, though, office, is too good." If I'm not a likable guy or girl, and it's a circumstantial evidence case, I get up there, I'm hanging myself probably. If I'm not uh, suave when it comes to the way that I come off with people, yeah. if I'm just a natural apple. And I get up there on the witness stand and all the jurors hate me and it's circumstantial evidence case and you're going to be found guilty probably. I would suggest as your attorney, I would suggest a a service animal of some kind just to kind of soften the image. I was giving you a hypothetical of people who are apples, not me. I thought I would, of course, be charming. Right. Without a service animal. And for that hypothetical, I was saying, yes, somebody like that would require a service animal. How dare you? I would, I didn't say your name out loud. I didn't say it. Um, when we come back, we're going to get into uh, the stories uh, with Mark Saltzman, some tech stories that we're going to get into about what Netflix knows about you. I mean, we talked about Facebook, of course, finding out information about you. What about Netflix and Incidents like oh, that. Netflix knows far too much. <laughs> uh, and straight. Oh, by the way, great way to learn about family members is to go through their Netflix queue. Yes. And see what they have been watching on the account. This That's is true. Fun thing. Um, strange science stories that we'll get into as well, including skin implants that will create a mole mm. if you're at risk for cancer. You want it to create a mole? If it keeps mm. you from the cancer, mold me up, baby. All that's coming up next on Gary and Chan. Gary and Shannon. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Big hour coming up. Tech Talk with Mark Saltzman. We talked about just before the break, how much does Netflix know about you? And you don't even know it. Also, strange science. Looks like designer babies will be possible in the near future. How terrifying is that? But first, we start with the big stories of the day. Southwest Airlines. Looks like last year... U.S. regulators proposed making inspections of certain fan blades mandatory. 
uh, ultrasonic inspections of fan blades because those little cracks in the blades, they can't be seen by the naked eye. You need these ultrasonic inspections to see where there is metal deterioration or decay. And at the time, Southwest said, we are going to need more time than a year to check all these blades. We're going to, yeah, we hear what you're saying, but we're going to need more time on that. And then what happened this week happened with one of those what appears to be a metal, metal decay situations, one of those blades breaking off inside the engine. It was not contained within within the engine, and the shrapnel was able to damage the wing, the fuselage, and uh, and spray parts into that window, which led to the woman's death. Yeah, and, and the, the recommendation came originally after the engine blew up back in 2016. I think it was over Florida. And then, of course, what happens Tuesday, this this 737 headed from New York to Dallas, 149 people on board and the emergency landing in Philadelphia. We know all about it now that the the people on board who were heroes in trying to pull this woman back in after she had been partially sucked out through the window. Basically, we know what caused her death. It was blunt force trauma. And it was also some of the um, shrapnel pieces of the engine that had blown off and also hit her while she was hanging out the window. I don't know where we go with this in terms of the NTSB and the new recommendations um, from the FAA because there were inspections. They have been doing inspections in the past, although they were asking for more time to do the inspections because this is far beyond just the visual inspection. We On Sunday, as a matter of fact, this exact airplane had gone through the equivalent basically of an oil change in these engines and the close visual inspection the problem is that just eyeballs will not show you the metal fatigue that this is being blamed on that this accident is being blamed on at least preliminarily um the the faa proposed making this same recommendation mandatory back in august but never followed up on it at that point it was just a proposal they have said that they have not still required airlines to conduct the inspections, but said late yesterday that it will do so in the next two weeks. I believe American, Delta and United all have planes as well um, with with these engines that could be susceptible to the metal fatigue, a couple hundred planes apiece. Well, and if you figure American has a huge fleet, but they've only got 300 airplanes that have this engine or would fall under this classification. Same thing, Delta huge fleet but only about 185 of these 737s every single airplane in the southwest fleet is a 737 yep and i don't know how many of them have this specific uh manufacturer uh, of engine on it but you got to imagine that probably most of them do just based on the fact that southwest has a contract with this company that makes the engines and slaps them up on the wings of these airplanes. It's their entire business. Uh, these engines, the way that they are uh, sold to to airlines, is it's the best engine for a single um, aisle plane. And all Southwest operates are those 737, yeah. 300s, or 700s. So if American has about 300 with this type of engine, Southwest has more than 700 of these airplanes. Again, I don't know exactly how it breaks down which ones specifically have this engine, but if you've got a fleet of 720 737s, I don't know why they don't just buy 17 more and make it an even 737, but 
why you're going to have to – it's going to take a very long time right. for Southwest it, to do this. It wasn't that Southwest was like, yeah, we don't feel like doing those inspections. It really would take longer than a year to inspect all of those planes, take them out of service to expect them the whole bit. Um the pilot that we spent so much time, Tammy Jo Schultz, talking about yesterday and the co-pilot whose name I, is failing me right now, they released a joint statement yesterday through the airline, through Southwest, saying uh, we were just doing our jobs, our hearts are heavy, and we will not be doing any interviews. We're going to talk to the NTSB and we're not, that's it, which I think is um, a class move, as much as I want to hear. And maybe down the line we will hear from her um, and him, uh, but... Right now, certainly, they realize that a media blitz is not where they should be. And it took a long time for Sully to do any interviews, yeah, when he sit down, exactly for the same reason. I mean, he was and a nobody guy, died on that plane, and he was a guy who said, "Listen, I just did my job the best I could uh, and made the best of what was a terrifying and unfortunate experience." If you have a heroic day here at the radio station doing radio heroics, I don't like to talk to the media. Oh, you would I mean, make if an I exception? Do, no, no, I. Like for Conway? Well, you've if gone he's out. like, you did a bang-up job on that show today, Hoffman. You've gone outside with me sometimes, and there's reporters down there every once in a while waiting for us when we come out. Those are not uh, reporters. What are they? And they're not for us. Those guys that are standing right yeah, they there work next here. to the like, Terminator They work two- here. Not everyone's here to see you. Yeah, they, okay. Okay, I think what... They're smoking. They obviously they can, have you they go fooled as well. To smoke. Right. That's their that's their game mm-hmm. is to pretend like they're smoking or vaping out there so that they can, you know, hear our questions, eavesdrop on our conversations to see if they can pick up any tidbits. Okay, I'm gonna set aside your unicorn world and move on to the second big story of the day. <laughs> yes. Minnesota prosecutors today says there will be no criminal charges filed in the death of Prince. He said that Prince thought, and this is terrifying. Thought he was taking a common painkiller like Vicodin and did not know that the counterfeit pill he ingested contained fentanyl. This reminds me of the story of Eric Bowling's son who thought he was taking a Xanax and it was not. It was fentanyl. Well, the, the thing is that they cannot trace exactly where it is that Prince got this stuff. There's no reliable evidence, they say, of how he was able to obtain this counterfeit Vicodin that had fentanyl in it. They did, however... They did say that a doctor there in Minnesota, Dr. Michael Schulenberg, who has treated Prince, uh, who I said had treated Prince twice not long before he died, did agree to pay 30 grand to settle a federal civil violation for an illegal prescription. Now, what they found about Prince was all of the medications that were in his home, and there were a lot. If you remember when he died, that was one of the big stories is they found so much medicine there, so many of these painkillers and opioids, et cetera. Not one of those prescriptions was in his name. Not one. They were all to friends, to former uh, bandmates, etc. I found something as well that's trending um, it, it just within the last few minutes or so. Nothing compares to you. Remember the song by Sinead O'Connor? Sure. He recorded that five years before she did. He wrote it, and he recorded it five years before Let's she did. Let's hear that. You want to hear a little bit? Because everyone knows the Sinead version. Yep. I don't know how perfect this mix is. It sounds a little karaoke. It's been seven hours and thirteen days. I like it better already. Me too. You took your love away. 
It's almost more powerful coming from a guy. Yeah. I go out every night and sleep all day. All right, we'll yeah, come back. that's the thing. More powerful oh. from a guy because women, you know, everyone thinks women act like this in a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> but it's you guys, too. Nah. Your chance to win $1,000 coming up, brought to you by Cunning Dental. You got some bad gums, call Cunning Dental for a free exam. 888-640-SMILE. I could hear that all after Me too. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Uh, Look what I found. That's a lot. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword BILLS to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's BILLS to 200-200. Wait, don't forget, you got to answer the phone if they call you. If you don't answer that phone, they'll move on to somebody who will answer the phone, like Brenda in San Bernardino, who won $1,000. Your next chance to win is $1,000 from now. In fact, every hour through 7 o'clock tonight, we're giving away $1,000 an hour. The machines are getting smarter. This is Tech Talk. Brought to you by Skynet. Mark Saltzman joins us every Thursday for Tech Talk. Mark Saltzman, columnist for USA Today, writes for several different platforms, travels the world speaking about tech, and spends is is uh, is gracious enough to spend some time with us every Thursday. Um We've, well, we missed you, Shannon. You're I, back. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for noticing I was gone. Of course. Well, <laughs> Gary's good on his own, but you guys are like chocolate and peanut butter. You're great on your own, but you're even better together. So we missed oh, you. Oh, that was so Mark. sweet. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, so oh, we... Wait, I want to know which one's chocolate, which one's peanut butter. Oh, yeah. I'd like to be chocolate. Okay. Well, okay. Gary is, yeah. Okay, never mind. He's like, why do you have to make it weird, guys? Yeah, now it's all awkward. I'm sorry. Okay, Forget well, that analogy now. We, we've been spending a lot of time being paranoid about Facebook and what other sites know about us, Apple, mm-hmm. whatever. Netflix is now entering the conversation. Yeah, you know, uh, so I wrote this piece for USA Today last week, and I, I don't want to throw them under the bus. In, in fact, compared to... Google and some other big players. It's not so bad, but your listeners should know. And I am also, by the way, for full transparency, I'm a big Netflix fan. So none of this is super surprising to me. So here's what Netflix knows about you. They know, of course, what you're watching and when and how often and or how many times. They know what you search. Uh, they know what device you're on, if it's a smartphone or a tablet, uh, a computer, or maybe a smart TV. They know generally where your location is that's called an ip address it's like those numbers like one dot you know one nine two dot six dot eight that kind of thing it knows roughly that you're in you know southern los angeles that kind of thing they know if you go to a website to log into netflix people do so you don't use an app but you use the browser you uh by signing off on their privacy uh conditions that they know that um you know the the sites that you go to beforehand and the search words so this is called cookies as we call it or uh or targeted advertising they know what where you've been and what that you like to see and they could then in turn target something that is relevant to you but this is where I, I give them credit. They do not allow for third-party ads. You may know that if, you, if you're if you on Netflix. You don't see ads from other companies. Um, they only share your information with um, uh, promotional partners. So if you want to sign up for six months for free with Netflix, but you, you need an Internet service provider, they may share your data there. Um, you can clear your information, including cookies and all that, if you don't want to be targeted. 
Um, you can even clear your search history. If you're, if all these recommendations are for sci-fi and horror and you've, you know, you realize that your, your daughter or son has been watching your Netflix and, and it's messing up with your recommendations, you can clear all that. But the one thing you can't do yet anyways is to download all of this data. So you can remove your account, you can clear it, but a, a lot of other online services let you download it all and study it, but you can't do that yet with Netflix. But overall, not so scary. It's kind of what you would expect. They want, you know, it's big data. They want to know what you're watching. Um, they creeped people out in, in December, if you remember, where they posted, it was supposed to be a funny Twitter post that said something, they, they you know, like 53 people watched A Christmas Prince every day for 18 days. So then that caused like a whole Twitter storm freaking out people thinking that they were, you know, um, the big brother was watching, but they didn't know the actual people. They just said 53 people, but they didn't know specifically who. So, yeah. So you can read that whole article and what you can do to opt out of all of this at usatoday.com. When they use this information, they use it, I would assume, for the most part, to tailor the next choices for you, you know, trending now, watch it again. Uh, we think you might like this one, that sort of correct, thing, right? That's mostly what it's for, correct? In order, and that's what they say, of course, that they want to provide a better service for you and more personalized. Um, but uh, still, some people don't like the whole web tracking thing. Every company does it virtually online with cookies and all that. You can opt out of that using your incognito mode of your browser uh, as well. Um, but uh, yeah, so you're right. But nobody's putting a gun to your head saying you have to watch. Netflix. All of these services want to get to know you better in order to monetize it in different ways, including advertising. What is this I hear about Amazon appearing to do a uh, a solid, I guess you could say, for Best Buy? <laughs> yeah. So Amazon and Best Buy, which are, of course, the two biggest electronic retailers in the U.S., one online, one retail and online, they just revealed yesterday a multi-year partnership to sell TVs at Best Buy with Amazon Fire TV built in. So it's kind of like what Roku has been doing. Uh, Roku is another popular streaming stick or box that you can buy and you connect it to your TV for streaming content like YouTube and so on. But now they now you can have a Fire TV built into these TVs with Best Buy's Insignia brand as well as Toshiba. So it's kind of like the reimagining the smart TV part. And it's, it's kind of a big deal for both of those companies because you would think they're, they're probably frenemies and, you know, I mean, they, they compete, but they are working together and they have done so before. But interestingly, yesterday, um, Roku's stock dropped about 10%. So, uh, yeah, investors are a little skittish now about Roku's future because they've gone that route where you don't have to just buy a stick or a box, but you can buy a TV with Roku built in. But it did bounce back a little bit today, but it's an interesting partnership between Amazon and Best Buy. So starting this summer, you'll be able to buy some value price TVs with Amazon built in. I love the Roku stick. I, we didn't When we got cable, moved into a new house, they were going to charge us to make sure that it was active in every single room that it was available. And I said, no, I, I don't need that. I, in fact, I only had one TV at the time, so it didn't make any sense for me to do that. But the mm -hmm. Roku stick with the Wi-Fi, I can watch basically everything I would want to watch anyway. Yep. Don't, yeah. don't tell my cable product. company that. Roku's great. Mm -hmm.
They just sent me one to review. I haven't looked at it yet, but it's 4K. Uh, so it supports the latest TVs with four times the resolution of HD. And it is a stick with 4K. And you use either the remote that comes in the box or the app. Um, but yeah, I, hey, competition is good. So I'm, I'm, I hope Roku swings back with something to combat this partnership between Amazon and, and Best Buy because these are two major players, let's face it. Mark Saltzman, columnist for USA Today and our friend. Thanks so much for taking the time for us today. Pleasure, guys. Cheers. And, of course, you can check out uh, Mark's podcast that we have up on the iHeartRadio app as well. You can do that and uh, and listen to more of Mark's good technology. E, get it? Technology? Technology? Coming up next, <laughs> we've got a series of, uh, we'll just call them strange science. That's a good word. I love Stories. it. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon. On this Thursday, April nineteenth, a few uh, a few stories out of Washington actually that are uh, developing as we speak. A couple of things. Number one, it looks like the Department of Justice is going to be turning over some of former FBI Director James Comey's personal memos to three congressional committees who have been asking for them for the whole committee. There are a few people who have seen them. Um, we don't know if it was in the redacted or unredacted form, but the House Intelligence Oversight and Judiciary Committees will, within a few hours, have their hands on those personal memos of James Comey. Also, the Department of Justice Inspector General is asking whether or not FBI, so the former Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, lacked candor, whether he lied through his teeth in discussions with the with Congress or with such a delicate way of putting it lacked candor yes uh, or with the uh, former director Comey and then finally um, Bloomberg is reporting that Rod Rosenstein went to the White House and told the president that he is again that he is not the target of any arm of Robert Mueller's special counsel investigation that's not to say it couldn't be but he isn't remember this the Washington Post last month I think it was said that he wasn't a suspect. I don't remember which exact word they had. He wasn't the subject of the investigation. He's just like a guy whose name happens to be in it or something like that. I mean, I remember the exact terminology they used. Um, But those are the three coming out of D.C. We also had this story that's trending right now. About Prince. Yeah. Prince is nothing compares to you that he laid down what? Five weeks or something before Sinead O'Connor. Five years. Five years. Excuse me. I meant five years. Five years before Sinead O'Connor released it. And we all like it better. Michelle said you're evil for not getting to the chorus. Oh, you want me to get all the way to the chorus? In collaboration with Warner Brothers, released this original version, uh, recorded by Susan Rogers in 1984 at the Flying Cloud Warehouse in Minnesota. Backing vocals by uh, Susanna Melvoin and Paul St. Paul Peterson. 
nothing compares to you from summer of 1984. Hey, Seuss wrote to us on Facebook at Gary and Shannon and said, Chris Cornell's is the best. And I've got it here. I... Why not play lots of music on AM radio? <laughs> from from dead artists. It sounds so good. Right. We got a harp involved here. It's been seven hours and fifteen days. Monica's swooning in there. Winner, winner. It's pretty good. Hey, Blake, quick gas go around. <laughs> Everybody, I'd like to hear your rendition of Nothing Compares to No, you. I'm out. No. Hard pass. Hard pass. I need lines. I don't know it. You don't know the song? Just don't let it surprise I'm totally you every teasing. time. That, I'm totally teasing. I just thought since we have already played like... Gary backed yeah. far away from his mic. He was ready for it. No, that's not true. was not ready for it. Are you sure? You want to do it? No. You want to give us your rendition? No, because I cry. I can't do that song without crying. Really? Now I really want you to sing it. Stop. <laughs> We've got some good strange science stories to tell you about, though. Like weird science, but strange. I don't know how I feel about this. And it, it already exists to some degree, but the idea of designer babies seems weird. Sometime within the next 20 to 40 years, some experts say we could see people able to select their ideal embryo from several dozen potential candidates created using their cells. Ideal embryo, what do you mean by that? Well, I think that the, the way it should be done, uh, that's not the right way to put it. The, the most, I think, acceptable way for this to be done is... To have it, sex and then uh, make the baby, and then the baby comes out, and well, you love the baby, and you raise the baby. And then they move out and break your heart. That's the best way to do it. One other way to do it is, let's say you have some sort of fertility issues or whatever, or you have genetic um, baggage with you that you don't want to pass on to your children. Okay. Or whatever. What, disease or... Um, um, some sort of a, a genetic disorder that you know that you have a possibility of of passing on to your kids. So that would be one way and probably the most accepted way of picking which embryos are going to be ideal. They're talking about ideal physical characteristics that go into a baby. And I know that we're really far off in terms of being able to pick things like eye color, hair color, physical build, maybe dexterity, maybe mental acumen, stuff like that. But that's where this gets into the weird moral, ethical debates that you have. I mean, that we all had probably in college at one point. Should you be able to do this? Yeah, but back then it was like, uh, oh, this could happen in the future. And now it's kind of like, well, we're getting closer to that. Ability. Uh, once the genetic profile is done, could it come back to haunt a child if a life insurance company or a nursing home demanded to see it to assess disease risk? 
How would the large number uh, number of rejected embryos be handled ethically and politically? Well, there's this, that too. Because it's not. I mean, we we deal with that right now in terms of the the. Uh, I feel so bad for the people that go through fertility treatments, and then they have a kid or two kids or whatever, but they're still viable. They got eggs, eggs or embryos, and you know your family is full. You're you're done, right? But you you know that they're out there. I don't know. It's we that's had, a tough call. We had man. friends who did that. And yeah, they, they had fertility issues for a long time, yep. and then had a set of twins. Boom. Yeah, the same thing happened to uh, some of my. Wanted friends. to have more kids, had another set of twins. They're in the conversation right now. Of what are we going to do? I mean, there's plenty of there are options. I mean, you can donate them. Sure. You can. I mean, to other families who couldn't Which even. Which is get the to that best point. option, I think. It's just. I a, mean, if your if your family is full and you're. But you can't. You, but you can't ignore the moral and ethical issues that come with, you know, the less than ideal embryos that exist after they've been created. So. Did you hear about the tortoise? No. Oh, I don't think you were there this morning when oh, Nick and I talked about the tortoise. He cracked his shell. Yeah. I'll tell you about it when we come back. Excellent. About that. He's a local tortoise. And then we'll have to get into that mole story, too, putting moles in your skin. Okay. Not, not animal moles, but a mole that's like an indicator light. Okay. Gary and Shannon will continue. I see what you're doing there. The covers to uh, Nothing Compares to keep on rolling in. We're not going to play all of them. No. Maybe Um, tomorrow. (laughs) Maybe tomorrow. We'll see what we have going on. Uh, Well, briefly, I'm going to tell you the tortoise story. Get it. A wayward tortoise cracked his shell. How did did it crack his shell, you asked? How did the turtle crack its shell? Well, first of all, this is a 90-pound African spurred tortoise. Spurred? Yeah. It has spurs. The jingle, jangle, jingle? It was a pet tortoise that got loose from a yard, and a dog started after this tortoise. So somehow, the tortoise made it up a 10-foot wall. He's got spurs. I don't think that means what you think it means. Um, But... Listen to me. I'm listening. The tortoise to made it yes. up a ten foot wall. Okay. A and the dog didn't catch tortoise. him. Is what you're saying. The dog did not get but him. But then what happened was the tortoise fell over the wall. I don't know if he specifically tried to fall over the wall to get to be on the other side of the wall than the dog. Like it was kind of like I don't know how this is gonna go, but it's better than being eaten by that dog. How slow is this dog? Well, the tortoises can be quite fast. That's what Nick said. What does Nick know about? I don't know. Blake tortoises. is usually our animal uh, knowledge font. Uh, tortoises. What about them? Are they How fast? fast? They can be quicker than you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if it's that big old one like that, it's going to have a longer stride than you would think. Okay, mm-hmm. but against a dog. But against a dog, I've never met one because I I've had uh, many a tortoises in my life. See what I mean? And oh. I've never seen one faster than a dog. So, but I have not met all the obese dogs in the world. That is a good point. Do you call so, them tortoise, go- tortoises or tortoise-eye? I said tortoises the for all of my life. I've uh, never heard anyone say tortoise-eye until today when Nick just said it and now you said it. 
So you're looking up the plural. But then again, I've also never seen a dog try to climb a ten foot wall, really. So well, they bark and they'll jump, but I don't think they're going to make it up a ten foot wall. Maybe depending it was, on the maybe breed. it was one of those situations where uh, you know, like your dog gets finally catches up with the cat and doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah, maybe that. the dog finally caught up to the tortoise and was like, ah, crap! Tortoises I don't know what to do. can be surprisingly agile. I found. So. You guys have extensive knowledge. I of- saw some. They were they were headbutting each other the other day, and they were very quick. Where were you? It was at like a wildlife center in Selmar. Okay, Nick, you go to the uh, okay. I get in here Monday morning, and like, how was your weekend? You know, this is like a throwaway thing. Midget wrestling, and, and me went to midget wrestling. Yeah, or, or little people. Wrestling. It's like every day there's. They an called adventure. it midget wrestling. They they build it as midget mania. Santa Clarita Valley is looking really promising. Well, this these was days, in Ventura, but yeah. Nick's like a right. children's book, like <laughs> Wait, Adventures let's get back of to this. Nick. We're talking about a tour who cracked his shell. He fell off the fence and cracked his shell. Oh, sorry, yeah. No, The point good. of the story was yeah. <laughs> um, not the kid's extensive knowledge of the tortoises, but <laughs> the fact that a veterinarian was able to repair the shell of this tortoise because it cracked into three pieces. It was a $4,000 cost. Luckily, the tortoise does not have to pay up. The county's spirit fund paid for that $4,000, and the tortoise will now live with a rescue group. It will need a year to heal, but the tortoise could have many more decades of life. This tortoise is as old as you are. How old? About 35 to 40. I'm a little older than that. Well, this tortoise has been around as long as we have. I think it's as old as you are, Shannon. I'm not 40 yet, Blake. 35 to. See how good she is at math? There, Shut up, Blake. There is an implant <laughs> that you can get stuck in your skin that will tell you whether or not you're at high risk of breast or prostate cancer. Uh, This scientist claimed that this large freckle can act as an early warning sign that would save thousands of lives. It's a little implant that you put in there. It's triggered by high calcium to produce melanin, which is the pigment which causes uh, your skin to tan or moles or freckles. And the excessive calcium levels in the blood occur in the very early stages sometimes of certain cancers. This artificial mole was created by Swiss scientists to detect the four most common cancers, prostate and breast, but also lung and bowel cancer. And they say it's created by genetically engineered cells that are then implanted back into the body to pick up these high calcium levels and release the pigment, which forms to be a freckle on the skin. Look at this. It's just literally just under the skin and turns out to be a big mole that you would see. I don't know if I'd put it on my forearm like they mm-hmm. like they put it in this picture, but... It basically is a man-made freckle, which could be an early warning sign. Picking up cancer quickly is vital. More than 90% of women diagnosed with breast cancer at the earliest stage survive for the next five years, compared to around one in seven of those who are diagnosed at the most advanced stages. So it's clear that early detection, we've heard that forever, early detection is a key when it comes to treating cancer. This may be one of the ways that you can do it. Didn't know that that was a thing. Didn't know you could even do that. Did you see the uh, viral video that Jordan Peele put together of Barack Obama? <laughs> yes. Calling the president a complete and total dip s. Mm-hmm. It, he, he created it, he says, for a greater purpose. And it's all about the ability for fake news or fake videos to be propagated because of uh, how how real they can look. Now, that's Jordan Peele's mouth in that video that you see. His voice and his mouth were digitally inserted into the video, 
to use some technology, uh, I'm sorry, that used technology that is easy to come by. It's like uh, um, Adobe, what is it? One of some Adobe products, After Effects and Fake App. Fake App lets anyone create their own videos with this easy to use app that can be directly downloaded to your desktop computer. So you can take someone like a recognizable figure like President Trump or President Obama in this case and then basically make them say whatever it is you want them to say. And that's what that's what this whole thing was. It's funny because he does a pretty good job of uh, he does a pretty good impression of Obama in the first place. So to have the the actual video of Obama saying these things was kind of funny. Yeah. But that's all it's funny. John Cobalt. Yes. What's happening? So uh, there's a woman who's getting $3 million from the city. New Year's Eve, she's being carried into a dance club by her friend, Piggyback. And uh, he trips on a jagged sidewalk, and she falls off and hurts herself and gets $3 million. You know, we were talking about not this instance, <laughs> yeah. but similar uh, payouts that cities and the state make. We did a, a little John and Ken show today. Oh, did you? Yeah, at about 11.30. And it was all about the conversation about how states and cities are so apt to to settle quickly and award ridiculous sums of money because it's not their money they're dealing with it's ours the winning argument could not have been hey you were being carried piggyback what right. did you think was going to happen right and you're probably drunk wasted. on new year's eve yeah wasted so uh, how the hell would you settle for three million for that it's easier it's the path of least resistance you can't, for the win, city. You can't win that case yeah even I, with to, even with 12 people you know your jury of your peers that is <laughs> What if you have no peers? Well, then there's that. <laughs> Maybe three guys. Shannon three has peers? no peers. We'll be your peers. <laughs> I would yeah. love it if that was your, if the the opening statement and the closing argument or opening argument closing statement was just you were on the guy's back <laughs> and you were drunk and it was New Year's Eve. No, no further questions, yeah. Your Honor. Right. That uh, that that would be it. What else are you going to say? Right. John yeah. and Ken up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. And so we come to the end of another fun-filled episode of Gary and Shannon.